All right, everybody. Welcome to episode 46 of Sports Cards Live. This is going to be a really fun episode. I've been looking forward to this one for probably four to six weeks already. Uh, really excited to have tonight's guest, Dustin, join us. But before we bring him out, I do want to thank my guest from last Wednesday, Stephen LaRoche. We had a, a great first part of the episode, and then unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties. So I had to bring in the ringers. Carlos, uh, Carlos Alcazar from the, the, the Because I'm Carlos YouTube channel came out and joined me, as well as Bobby Burrell, who's the the almanac on vintage hockey cards and collecting. I also want to thank uh, this past Saturday's guests. We had both Chris Carlin from Upper Deck and Name Cardinal from Indigenous Rookie Cards. And uh, we, well, we, they really announced a brand new initiative that Upper Deck is undertaking in 2021, which is to bring the first rookie cards for several um, Indigenous players who've never had cards before to market to the Indigenous communities across North America. That was really cool. Really honored to be a part of that announcement. And I think they're doing wonderful things, what, what uh, Chris and Upper Deck are doing with name in terms of that initiative. Really awesome stuff. This Saturday, Eric Norton from Beckett Live Presents will be my guest on the first episode of Sports Cards Live for Saturday night. And then on the After Hours episode, joining me will be Amit Acharya, who's been on with me before episodes 20 and 21 and is a good friend. And we'll have a nice relaxing uh, kind of wind down show for a Saturday night. This coming Wednesday, guys, next Wednesday, um, my guest will be Adam, who is the, uh, he goes by the Real 27 guy on Instagram, and he is also the editor of the brand new uh, hobby magazine, which is called Basketball Card Fanatic. I've actually, it's a digital magazine, of course, as most things are these days, but I printed it out, and this is what it looks like, guys. This is the ep issue number one. And I'll just sort of do a quick little page flip to show you what you're in for. If you uh, if you send him a DM on Instagram at the real 27 guy, he'll send you the first issue for free. And after that, I think you got to see what he says. But you'll notice we have a little sports cards live advertisement in there as well. So that was nice of him to include that. I'm a, we're, we're a proud sponsor of this magazine. And uh, Adam's a great guy and certainly knowledgeable. And he has a lot of knowledgeable guys contributing to this project as well. So you might want to check that out and definitely... Check him out on the show on uh, next Wednesday. I want to thank everybody for subscribing. Closing in on 1,100 subscribers right now. Um, so if you haven't yet subscribed, please go ahead and do so. I want to thank tonight's guest, Dustin, for bringing new guests to the show, new viewers. I appreciate all of you guys. And thank you, Dustin, for publicizing the episode and bringing new, new eyeballs to the show. Again, if you haven't subscribed, you're the first. it's your first time watching. Please feel free to subscribe. Check out the backlog of episodes. This is episode 46. So we got 45 other episodes uh, there in the archives. Check them out as you want. The a multitude of guests, all sorts of all sorts of industry, heavy hitters, passionate collectors, content creators, um, lots of lots to choose from if you're looking for some some uh, content to, to consume. As always, guys, tonight, your questions and your comments will be in play. So feel free to post them up and we will address as many of them as we can. And I'm pretty excited to announce here tonight for the first time, I'm going to be introducing two new features to the show. The first feature is going to be called the card of the day. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to show a card from probably from my personal collection at the end of the episode. I'm going to try and tie it into the, the topic at hand for the evening. So at the end of tonight's show, I'm going to show you guys a card of the, my card of the day. I'll give you a couple of hints. It's a vintage card, and it's a pretty cool card. 
So uh, I'm, I'll probably say that every time it's a cool card, but this one's a, this is a cool card. It's a vintage card. Also going to start a new feature. It's going to be called the Sports Cards Live 5. It's going to be basically five questions I'm going to ask my guests at the end of the show. So stick around for those and you'll see what, uh, what those questions are and what Dustin's answers will be for those questions. All right, guys. Tonight's guest, Dustin Cooley. All right. He's in North Carolina. He works in finance for uh, as his profession for a living. He collected as a youngster and he came back into the hobby two years ago. And then he started his popular YouTube channel called The Personal Finance Dad back in March. Um, we're fans of each other. We consume each other's content. We watch each other's show. We met on YouTube and, uh, and Twitter for that matter. And he's going to join us tonight. So let's bring out Dustin to the show. Everybody, welcome. Dustin, how are you doing tonight? My my, my new friend. How are you tonight, yeah, Dustin? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. I appreciate it. I'm excited for this one. This awesome, great. dude. I'm, I'm glad you're excited. I'm excited to have you. But we're going to jump right in. I'm going to hit you with a question right off the bat, man. I want to know. because I, I just said, when you first came back into the hobby two years ago, what was the first thing that you went out and bought? Um, okay, so the first thing that I bought um, was a complete set, and it was raw. I was actually in a binder. Um, it was two, a little over two years ago, and it was a, a complete set of 1989 score football. And the reasoning behind it was when I was a kid, that was the set that was too expensive for, for us to be able to afford. I came from a very middle-class family, and so you know those were cards that you, you did not see them in grocery stores and bookstores and gas stations. They were at the card shop, whereas, you know, Pro Set and Don Russ and all the rest of it, you could find those anywhere. 89 score football, you couldn't find everywhere. So I was, you know, forced to kind of as a seven, eight, nine year old kid, if I wanted an 89 score, I had to negotiate with the with the card shop owners that had a lot more experience and, you know, pulled the wool over my eyes many times. Um, so I ended up paying, you know, five dollars for a Bubby Brister uh, 89 score football card. And so, you know, I saw it on eBay two years ago, you know, for 50 bucks, the entire set and it was in the binder and everything. I'm like, this is the biggest no brainer of my life. So that was my, that was my first purchase coming back in. Oh man. I remember that set so well. I mean, what was your favorite card in that set? Man, there was a lot that I that I liked. Um, I was a big, I'm you know, huge New Orleans Saints fan. So I mean, Bobby Bear and any of the Saints players, those were I remember just and whether it was Score or Pro Set or any of those sets, but just when I opened packs, I first flipped through all the cards and picked out the Saints cards yeah. first, and then I went back and then I would look to see what else was in there. And um, I mean, but. And one thing that's kind of interesting about those cards is, of course, as many of the, the viewers probably know, is like, you know, that that Barry Sanders rookie and the Troy Aikman rookie and the Deion Sanders rookie, Derek Thomas, it's they're not in action. It's their face close up. And that's not typical of football cards, really. I mean, usually with football cards, they're in action, they're breaking a tackle or whatever. Um, so that was kind of unique. And then, you know, the style of this, the, the big helmet in the bottom. I don't know the the design as a kid. It just it jumped out at me. But um it's tough to say my favorite one just because there, there's so many that, that I like. I think the Barry Sanders is definitely at the top of the list just because he was that really exciting player when I was a kid that seemed like, you know, an absolute gladiator out there. And, it, and the stuff he was doing didn't make any sense. You know, it was so I don't know. I, I have a lot of favorites, but Barry Sanders would probably be up there for sure. 
Yeah, probably same for me. I mean, I remember the Barry Sanders, the Dion Sanders, and the Troy Aikman are the ones that really right. stick out to me. But I love the bold, bright green borders on on them, and the red. The, I think there were red borders as well in the set. Um, or was it all was it all red? Was it all green, or were there red border cards as, as well? Do you recall? Whew. That's a good question. I, for some reason, I'm thinking there was other borders, other colors in there. Yeah, I might, go, I might go grab that binder in a minute. <laughs> That's going to bother me. So maybe we'll see what happens. All right. Well, sorry to, sorry to throw that one at you. Perhaps they changed my team, but I certainly remember those green borders. And to this day, that Barry Sanders card remains a key card in the hobby. So I want to know what triggered you to come back in the hobby at that time two years ago? You know, I can't really put my finger on the exact thing other than, you know, and I joke about this with with my wife and she jokes about it with me and others. But, you know, it's maybe my midlife crisis. I'm going to be 40 next year. Um, and there was kind of a a wave of, I guess, just 80s nostalgia in general that's hit me over the last few years. I don't know if it's, you know, just becoming that that middle age, you know, I'm hitting that 40 milestone. Um, you know, but sports cards was part of that. It, it's just been going back to things that I remember as a kid um, that, that stood out. The, the nostalgia was definitely a big factor um, that got me back in. Um, so I, I can't really put my, my finger on exactly what it was. But I, I mean, look, I bought a pair of uh, Air Jordan 9s that I had when I was 13, you know, from 1994. You know, there's there's a few things that are, you know, maybe some questionable purchases that my wife is probably like, what what's going on here, you know? And I think it's just kind of going back to those good times as a kid um, and and that kind of mindset that that brought me back. Yeah, man, I, I hear you. Sometimes it is tough to pinpoint what what it is that causes us to to go down a new path or to, to revisit an old one. But, um, you know, I think a lot of people, they might have seen something in the news or they might have seen a seen cards at the Walmart, that sort of thing. And then they they buy a pack just sort of. Uh, you know, very impulsively, they open it up and that, whoa, cards have changed so much since I was a kid. And then they're, they're hooked again. A lot of people just get hooked again. So, all right. Yeah. What I want to, what I want to get into next is sort of like, you've been in the hobby, back in the hobby now for two years, which is a relatively short period of time. If you're thinking how long the hobby has been around. Oh yeah. But you've already sort of changed your, your direction a little bit. You've already been, been um, I, guess, I guess, adjusting your approach to the hobby and, and strategy. Before we get into that, let's just say hello to, to the, the viewers we have. We got Legion with us, as always. Legion, welcome to the show. Card Currency, Greg, welcome to the show. Good evening, all. Hoping everyone's doing well. Looking forward to another night of learning the hobby. Thank you very much. Greg, the card collector, welcome to the show. Steve, welcome to the show. Yam, as always, welcome to the show. This will be fun tonight. Dominic, good evening to you. Brent, bravo, Jeremy, first time watching live, but have caught most of the archives. Loving this. Thanks, Brent. Great to have you live for the first time. Really awesome to have you. Steve, good evening to you. Tim, hello to you. Card collector says hello to you, Dustin, directly hey, to Dad. you. And there we go. Several colors, red, blue, and green in that first 89 score. <laughs> I knew someone would know for sure. So, all right, welcome everyone to the show, Dustin. So, I'll give you a few. I'll give you a few minutes here to sort of talk about um, since you've been in the hobby for the last two years and and your first strategy or the approach you had. What was it, and what are you doing now? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, 
it's kind of come full circle for me a little bit. When, when I first came in, um, like I said, I bought that full set of, of 89 score football and I was really looking for cards more as a collector, um, you know, coming back in the first you know, few months coming back in, just kind of researching it. The one thing that stuck out to me that really stuck out to me was graded cards. It was like, what is this? You know, um, and well, I shouldn't say that I said, what is this? Because I had also delved into comic books as well. And I saw that comic books were being graded. And then I saw that cards were also being graded by third party, you know, and so I was like, okay, this is obviously a thing. This is something that, um, you know, is definitely new. Um, there were no graded cards in 1988, you know, when I was at the card shop. Um, so, and it really intrigued me, you know, just the, the, the different price points for each grade. You know, if you're looking at, fives or sixes or eights or tens and just kind of the consistency with that with a card and just like okay wow this is this is different and interesting um you know so i came in as a collector and just trying to learn as much as i could i bought cards like i bought a joe montana rookie card and a psa eight um you know i bought um uh, troy aikman rookie cards uh that i had the 89 score set but then i also bought some graded ones i bought kind of those cards that you know couldn't really afford as a kid or maybe um, you know, we're just kind of, or I didn't see very much, uh, 87 Fleer, Michael Jordan. I bought a few Michael Jordan cards, stickers and things where it was like, you know, 86 Fleer sticker, Michael Jordan, where in the, you know, even, even back then I can remember in 1990, they were, you know, expensive. It wasn't like a, a $5 card, you know, in the eighties. Um, you know, so it was those sorts of things. I was more of a collector coming in, just kind of picking up things. I picked up a Jim Brown rookie card, um, and a PSA three. And then as it started to kind of evolve from there, and I was, and like I said, I was dabbling in graded comic books as well, too. So I would, you know, I bought a, a first appearance of Black Panther, Fantastic Four, number 52, that was graded. So I was kind of attacking it from a few different angles, collectibles. Um, but but as we went into uh, football and basketball season about a, a little over a year ago, um, I was looking at both Patrick Mahomes and Luka Doncic as both of those guys just being, you know, I just like many people were you know, impressed by them. And I thought, you know what, what the heck, why am I, why not just throw some money at these guys and see what happens? This could be kind of fun. Um, you know, and, and I'd seen kind of cards fluctuate a little bit. And so that was more of kind of, I guess the investment or um, you know, the investing piece or the flipping piece that that's where that started a little over a year ago. Um, you know, and so then got pretty heavy into that once you saw kind of the, the, um, you know, the ROIs from, yeah, from Holmes and Doncic, it was like, okay, well, maybe there's something here. So I was having fun with that, just kind of speculating on players, how it's become full circle is, um, and we were talking, it's funny because I, you know, you're a longtime collector, so I think that you appreciate it. Um, but I've gone now, I'm, I'm literally right now, I'm 95% into vintage cards. I buy vintage football cards. Now I know people have different kind of you know, the, the years that they considered to be vintage, I'm buying a lot of eighties hall of famers and football, which a lot of folks won't, they say, well, that's not vintage. Maybe that's bronze age or something like in comic books. And I respect that. Um, but for a 25 year old, 1990 might be vintage, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so I'm, I'm including kind of those eighties guys in there because I think there's a lot of hall of famers from like 84 and, you know, 89 that I, you know, that, that I like long-term. And, and so it's become more of a long-term collection, long-term investment type, type attitude, as opposed to um, more of the, the, uh, you know, the short-term stuff, not to say that I'm not having fun doing the short-term stuff because I am, but it's, it's mainly kind of to, uh, flip cards to buy larger vintage cards. I would say that that's really where the strategy has kind of come full circle. It was like, 
collector, investor, long-term investor collector, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think it's a wise decision. And just for the record, you know, uh, my personal definition of vintage is anything up until basically 1989, 1988, 89 in there somewhere, depending on the sport. Um, be, because that's, that's when you used to get bubble gum in the packs, you know, and yeah. before upper deck came out in 1989 with their first baseball set and really revolutionized what a card could look like and what it was made out of and having that hologram on the back, the additional security feature. I thought that that was, um, to me, that's where we have the true cutoff between vintage and modern. Although I think since from 1990 through till 2020, I do think we have a couple of eras within that shorter period of that shorter period of time, which is now 30 years, even though that's not so short, it is when you're considered the hobby started in the late 1800s, at, yep. least the, at least these cards were produced in the late 1800s. So, so I appreciate that. I, you're now, you're now doing mostly vintage stuff. You know, there's, there's some new lingo in the hobby as of recent, and um, I'm not sure who started it, where it came from, but I'm noticing a lot of people are using this terminology and they're, they're, they're the terminology I'm getting at, they're calling it zagging. They're saying, Hey, or they're saying, you know, um, I bought this card. This is my zag. This is a zag. Okay. I guess it's got, <laughs> with, it's with reference to zigzag. Yep. Can you, can you sort of explain what, what you feel that means and what, what that lingo really is getting at? Yeah. I mean, my definition of it is, is kind of, you know, going in a different direction than maybe where the crowd is going. Um, we've seen, and it's funny because we're, we're talking about cards. I mean, really the last, what, 12, 18 months it's exploded. But before then you didn't really, I mean, you saw kind of ups and downs from, I've done some research just on historical, you know, pricing and it, and, it, and we haven't necessarily had kind of these huge swings um, like quite like this anywhere, you know, in the, in the recent past. But I guess that zag is kind of, you know, if everybody's buying vintage basketball, for example, my, my zag, I guess right now is, you know, vintage, everyone is kind of focused on vintage basketball. And you hear that kind of in the news and over, you know, uh, different people talking about it. You don't really hear much about vintage football as much. And not to say that people aren't buying uh, Terry Bradshaw rookies and, um, you know, some of those old timers, the, the Jim Brown rookies, but it's not, it doesn't seem like it's, it's uh, really as mainstream or I guess where people are, are zigging or if that's the, if that's how we're going to, you know, explain it. But so, yeah, that would be my definition is trying to take maybe and not necessarily trying to recreate the wheel. Maybe that's too far of a zag. I know that's an, that's kind of another <laughs> an extreme zag, another way of, the, of, of that being explained. But, um, you know, just trying to maybe get ahead of the curve a little bit, um, just trying to go away from maybe where where the crowd is is going currently. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense to me. That's kind of how I perceive it to, to, to mean as well, or what I perceive it to mean as well. I, I'll go take it a step further and say, I think when you talk, when you think about zigging, it's that's what the masses are doing. And we've seen what the masses have been doing in the hobby for the past, you know, <laughs> up to six months now. And then zagging is more of a contrarian type of approach where you're kind of looking to do what's contrary to what the masses are doing. And I think that's where the zig and the zag came from or, or, Perhaps that's how I would I perceive them to me, and so I appreciate your your explanation of that as well. Um, okay, interesting stuff. I want to move on in a minute. I want to move on to uh, a term that you coined to me, and I think you just kind of came up with it off the cuff the other night. But it's it's a great term, and the term is uh, base card bonanza. So we're going to come to that in a minute. But before we do, I just want to say hello to a few more people that have joined us. 
Uh, Dave Hart, hello and welcome to the show. Steve says, I, Steve says, I also love the 88 baseball and they have four colors, very underrated. Um, in my opinion, just not many rookies. Yeah, that's that's right from that that mass production era for sure. Carlos, welcome. Says it might be helpful to have a Bronze Age or similar designation at this point. I refer, I refuse to call the eighties vintage. Yeah. Well, Carlos, yeah. Carlos, you you can be wrong. That's okay. You can be wrong once in a while. <laughs> Let's keep going because Carlos doesn't like being wrong. Yeah. Um, Greg says, is Dustin's day job in the world of finance? If so, does Dustin see other people in the finance? world getting into cards. Dustin, can you speak to that? Yeah. So actually my day job, it's shifted. Um, I'm actually a, a recruiter. So I'm an IT recruiter. Um, but I've been, and I've been doing that for about four years now. Uh, but previous to that, I was in finance for 12 years. So I do have a, a background in personal finance. Just over the last four years, I got more into, into the recruiting space, which I'm enjoying. Um, as far as the finance world getting into cards, I, you know, I don't know if I have enough. I don't know if I'm in tune enough. And I, I guess I'd have to get clarification on that. Am I hearing finance people talking about it? I did hear I made an episode um, about Graham Stephan. For those that are not aware of, of, of who Graham Stephan is, he is a, a massive YouTuber. He has about two million followers in, in kind of that personal finance space. Um, he's a big time real estate agent in Los Angeles. And he was doing a, a collaboration video with another kind of personal finance guy on YouTube that also has about a million followers. And they were talking about actually the one guy asked Graham said, um, you know, what is kind of your I guess it would be that alternative investment zag, you know, that we that we're talking about what which, you know, alternative investments are, are you liking right now type thing. And he was talking about Pokemon cards and he and he whipped out a binder of his old Pokemon cards that he had in early 2000s as a kid. And then he said, is this kind of what you're, is this what you would say is kind of the, you know, big alternative investment? And he said, actually, I, I don't know much about it, but sports memorabilia would be the number one alternative investment. And this is a guy with two, he's, he's arguably the largest personal finance YouTuber. Um, so, you know, do I know personally a bunch of people? No, but you keep on hearing these things, you know, in the media and, and kind of, you know, influencers, big time influencers talking about it. So, you know, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, we're hearing more and more about it than ever before. We're it's, it's making headlines. You know, Ken Golden of Golden Auctions is is he's on CNBC, CNBC on on a regular basis, uh, really bringing the hobby some some great attention. So uh, even even though the numbers are crazy, you know, these records are being broken uh, every couple of weeks it seems. But um, hey, it's it's publicity for the hobby. I think that's good for all of us. Um, Ralph says vintage cardboard has that nostalgia giving an aura just by looking at it. I have to agree with that. Uh, Dave, welcome to the show. Great to see you. The card collector says vintage football did go up a bit. I think maybe focusing on vintage baseball is the right play because its last spike was last year and it's been declining ever since. So I think it's due for a spike. Okay, fair comment. Thank you for that. Yam says, whoa, I'm a headhunter myself. I recruit COOs. There you go. There you go. So, yes. you know, Dustin, it, you have an opportunity here because as a recruiter, you're meeting lots of people, you're interviewing people, you're meeting clients. You know, you can drop a hint and say, hey, I don't know if you're into cards, but check out my channel and, <laughs> uh, and may, maybe join the hobby. You know, you, you can do some recruiting for the hobby as well. I, I didn't think about it from that angle. That's a good point. I need to change my approach a little bit on my work calls. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Also joining us tonight is Jake from 90s B-Ball Cards. Guys, check out his YouTube channel. Also check out the Card Collector's YouTube channel, and I'm going to call out Amish Dave Archer's YouTube channel. 
check out all these guys. And of course, uh, because I'm Carlos's YouTube channel, all among my favorites. Jake, welcome to the show. Jake will be a guest with me in the next few weeks as well. You guys will want to check that out too. And if you've just joined, we do have some new people to join. I want to let you all know that um, I'm starting two new sort of uh, features of the show with this episode tonight with Dustin. The first feature is the card of the day. So I'm going to tease a card at the beginning and I'm going to show it at the end of the show and I'm going to try and keep it sort of on topic and relevant to my guests. So tonight's card that I will be showing at the end of the episode is a vintage card. I'm not going to say much more than that. I'll leave it a surprise. Dustin doesn't even know what it is. The other feature that I'm introducing tonight is called the Sports Cards Live 5. And it's five questions that I'm going to ask all my guests at the end of the show. So, you, you know, I know these episodes are long. Stick around till the end to see those or tune in later and, and skip to it and watch those uh, for a little short and concise version of uh, some questions and answers with the guests. Okay, Dustin, the next thing we're going to talk about is the, ter- is the topic for which you've coined the term, and it, <laughs> it relates to the recent uh popularity of base cards and we're calling it the base cards bonanza can you explain to the audience what you're seeing that caused you to speak to that yeah um well in one very specific example that i that i talk about fairly frequently i'll bring it up on my channel quite a bit um because i think it's just a great example and it's a player that that i love it's it's luka Doncic. it's his prism base psa 10 um and just kind of how high the population report is. And I get all kinds of pushback um, from viewership. And I respect that. I mean, everyone is entitled to, to their opinion. I, you know, not trying to be right on it. All I'm saying is, is that, um, you know, th- those are those kind of base cards are, are ones that I have, I guess, some concerns about for myself. I'm not necessarily saying that, yeah, hey, no one buy those. I mean, and also if you're collecting them, that's one thing. I've also had viewers um, that have said, you know what, I, I just want to have that for my collection. And that that makes total sense to me. Um, you know, but it, what, what scares me, I guess, is when people come to me and they're like, hey, you know, I'm I'm thinking about buying, um, you know, 10 of these at $2,000 a pop, you know, and it's and it, it, obviously I'm not going to tell them what to do, but I would just say like, I, you know, that's not something that, that, that I would do. I think there's a lot of other variations, other maybe more scarce cards that that, that could be another option too, to think about. So, um, but of course everyone can buy what they want. It's just one of those things where it's like the market is so hot right now. And I understand that those are very liquid and they can be turned over quickly, but I, I feel that those are the most, most vulnerable cards when you're talking about whether that's a uh, Luka Doncic base prism rookie card, or if that's a 15 year, um, you know, LeBron James base prism PSA 10 that's selling for $500, um, you know, and, who knows? Maybe maybe that'll maybe that'll hold up. But that's just something where I think that that I think that'll be kind of a, a fairly short lived thing. Um, and it's and and my thought with that is, is if you're buying a card from from 2018 or 19, there's so many different parallels and variations to choose from. There's almost, there, there's too many, frankly. <laughs> so it's like, you know, why not put maybe a few more bucks into the one that's that's numbered or whatever, you know, so that that's kind of been my thought, um, you know, just behind kind of the, the base card bonanza. Um, and something where I thought there, you know, there, there's some vulnerability there. But what are your thoughts on that, Jeremy? I don't know. Am, am I crazy? No, I mean, I, I, I thanks for asking me. I think, um, you know, I, I when we talk about base cards, I think, first of all, a lot of viewers, a lot of people in the hobby may think that, well, it's a rookie card. It's not a base card. But when we talk, we are talking about 
the base rookie card as well as other base cards, whether it's a, a 15 year, a 15th year LeBron James or a second year LeBron James tops, tops Chrome base card. We're still talking about base cards because we've recently seen in the hobby a, a, a massive increase in value of all these cards. And I usually refer to the, the base rookie card again, whether it's a tops Chrome or a, or a prism or a, a young guns in hockey, I refer to them as the, um, as the commodity cards. And they're the cards that you see people trading quite often. Any, any, at any time of any day uh, during any year, you can go onto eBay or ComC and you can find several copies of these cards, whether it's dozens or hundreds, they are out there and available. And this, this goes back to, you know, even vintage base card, base rookie cards, like, you know, the Wayne Gretzky rookie card, very easy to find a copy, the Joe Montana rookie card very easy to find a copy. Those are a bit different because they don't, they didn't have alternatives back then. Those guys got one card a year, maybe two, if there was an action card or a record breaker. So I hear what you're saying. I think it makes a lot, I think it makes a lot of sense to look at it as, as, you know, as a, as a savvy investor or a savvy collector. I think it's important to notice what's going on, what trends are happening in the hobby right now, and then to evaluate for yourself if you think that it's something that can last and be sustainable. So some of these commodity cards, you know, again, the young guns, the base prisms, I can see those holding value because that's the card that down the road, sorry, I can see them holding some value. I'm not saying they're going to stay where oh, they're yeah. at now. And I don't think the rate of growth is going to continue. That's just impossible. But I think that they do carry value. And um, they've just been they've just been kind of pushed up into these stratospherical type of levels where, you know, uh, the Luka Doncic PSA 10 prism base was $60 a year ago. Now it's, you know, it was up to $2,000 uh, last month. Now it's down to about $1,200, $1,300. And I'm talking about a PSA 10. So, yeah. I mean, the volatility is what you have to be willing to accept in your for you and the hobby, whether you're collecting, investing, or somewhere in the middle, you have to be able, you have to be willing to live through the volatility that comes along with those cards. Whereas if you're going to go for more of a, a rare limited edition card, either serially numbered or a, a, an RPA with a, you know, with the autograph and the patch, you may be, you may be susceptible to less, a less rate of volatility may, I'm not certain of, of that, but you may. And I think a lot of people are just saying, Hey, there's more interesting stuff out there to buy versus the card that you can buy on eBay at any time. And if you want, you can buy a dozen of them at any given time. Any response to that, Dustin? I was kind of, I was kind of, you know, freestyling there. But uh, anything kind of makes sense or not make sense there? Yeah, no, I think that I think you nailed it. As long as you're okay with that volatility, and maybe if you're playing that volatility game, you know, kind of where it's like, okay, look, I know this is a volatile card, and you know, that Doncic card, now it's at 800. Maybe I buy 10 of them now at 800, you know, and then I sell them at 1200. I think if you're trying to kind of play that, you know, kind of the short-term flip game, then then there could be something there as long as exactly as what you said, as long as you're okay with that with that sort of movement. It's, it's the comments of, you know, this is an all-time great, um, or this is going to be an all-time great, so it'll never go down. When I hear, when I hear, you know, when people come to me with, it's not going to go down, it's Michael Jordan, or it's not going to go down, it's Kobe Bryant, or it's not going to go down. And I'm thinking to myself, look, guys, like 18 months ago, Michael Jordan cards were a lot less expensive. And Michael Jordan's uh, career wasn't any different 18 months ago. It was still the greatest basketball career of all time, you know? <laughs> I mean, so, you know, you, you, I think that people get emotional and they get kind of caught up and, and I love it. I love the passion, um, you know, but 
I, I think that it's also good to just kind of take a step back and, 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 you know, not that I think that scarcity is everything. It's certainly not because you have to have what we talked about this last night. You know, you have to have demand to meet that scarcity or limited edition means nothing. I mean, there's plenty of those, you know, I've got limited edition McDonald's cards from 1992 that are still not worth anything, but they're limited edition, you know? So, um, you know, th there's definitely a balance with that. I know some people say, look, just cause it's scarce, it doesn't mean that it's going to be worth more. And I get that. I get that. You have to, you know, kind of find the balance. Yeah. There have to be a few other attributes of, of the card or the item that people are going to want. Like, first of all, the player has to be someone who did something uh, noteworthy in his career that, that is going to cause people to want to collect him. And the other thing is, I think, just simple uh, eye appeal, right? We don't want cards yeah. that we don't want to look at. We want cards that we like. It comes back to the, the general rule of the hobby is collect what you like. That doesn't mean invest in what you like. It's collect what you like. And once you start thinking investing, then maybe you need to start adding cards you may not like the looks of, but they are the important card for that player or an important card of that player. Um, the other, when you, you made mention, you said, you know, people say, well, it'll never go down. It'll never go down, you know, and, and I've said that before about certain cards in the hobby, usually more vintage, retired, iconic player, rookie cards, that kind of thing. But even that, you know, it comes another life rule. Never say never. We never know. We just don't know. And everyone who says it, these won't go down, it can't go down. Well, they can't see the future. So they're, they're simply guessing or speculating or, or basing that opinion on their experiences and in, in the hobby that they've been observing and a part of for anywhere from the last, you know, five years to 50 years, whatever it may be. So, um, but even, even myself, who's been in the hobby for 40 years, I, uh, you know, I think certain cards won't go down in value, but then we've had this recent, this, this very recent, very massive increase in value to all good cards across the board. You know, they could come down in value. I don't know that they'll go back down to where they were. They cer I certainly don't think they'll go lower, but even that, I can't promise it. I can't guarantee it. I don't know for sure. I cannot see the future as much as I'd like to, right? <laughs> So, okay, man. Thanks for the good, good topic. Any, I'm just going to see if we have any questions, comments from the viewers on this stuff before we move on. And the next topic is related, but let's get to the comments here first. Uh, Yam said, yeah, we saw that one already. Sorry, Yam, here it is. Collectibles are a great conversation starter. CEOs collect all kinds of things. Great. That's such a great point because part of business and, and relationships in business and Dustin, I'm sure you can attest to this is relationships and how do you build a relationship with somebody i think it starts with building rapport with that person when yeah. you're in your in your line of work do you do you build rapport with your clients and with your with your 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 candidates and when you're doing that do you ever talk about what might be a personal hobby maybe you talk about fishing or football but would you start to consider bringing the hobby into those discussions yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Um, definitely talk sports, um, certainly talk sports, but never really dug into collectibles. I almost feel like when I'm working, I go into kind of the, the different zone. I, I actually have a problem during the day, especially with all this remote working. All I can do is think about carts. So I'm trying to stay off of eBay and trying to stay on the phone you know, doing my work. So I think when I kind of zero in, I'm, I'm more of like, you know, I can talk sports, but if I get into cards, it's just going to get me into trouble. Um, but no, I think that that's a really great point, though. Um, you know, collectibles, you know, I'm a lot of people collect something. That, that's a really good point, Yam. I'll, I'll talk to you. We'll, I'll hit you up on Twitter and we'll talk more about that. That's a good idea. Right on, right on. Sean Robb. Sean, welcome to the show. Sean says, I feel like the epicenter of the base card explosion was the 2012-13 Prism Basketball. 
I, th I think he nailed it there. I, th I think you're absolutely right, Sean. I think that's what sparked it. Dustin, any uh, differing uh, thoughts on that or supplemental thoughts on that? Um, I know. I think it makes sense. It does make sense. Um, yeah. No, I, I don't have anything to add. I just Oops. agree. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, Greg says, do either one of you think there is a chance that the rise we have seen in the hobby is long overdue? is a long overdue popularity rise to a collectible market that seems to be a good side investment. Uh, you want to take this one first, Dustin? Yeah. And this is something I'm struggling with right now. Um, in part, I'm not, I'm not struggling in the sense that I feel like I might be buying on the high side, but I, I wonder that a little bit just because I, I forgot who said it earlier. Um, and I'm talking specifically about vintage football cards. I'm just going to talk about that segment for a second. I've been, I've been buying a lot of it. Um, a lot of it. Now, if I go back 12 months, it's it's more expensive than it was 12 months ago, but so is everything else. So I guess sometimes I feel like, well, shoot, should I just wait a couple of years for things to cool off and then, you know, go in and just buy buy everything up, you know, and that doesn't really kind of fit what I'm trying to do now because I'm I'm just I'm buying stuff on a daily basis. <laughs> but there is kind of a part of me that, you know, that wonders am, am I buying during the spike, you know, and and that's why I specifically pick certain cards to where it's like, if I'm overpaying a little bit, I'm not worried about it, you know, and there's, and I still feel like I am getting good values, even though it might be a little bit more than it was 12 months ago. Um, but no, I, I do think that, um, I think the part of the question that, that I really like is I do think that there is going to be become more legitimacy around this particular, um, hobby, uh, as an investment, um, as kind of that side investment, I think that it will grow. I think it'll get better. The, the, the only thing that I kind of worry about or something that, that could concern me is just anytime you have a huge influx of money into a market, there's usually bad apples or there's, you know, there's, there's some usually folks that can throw a wrench in that, that, that are, you know, and then, and then those folks will be the ones that get all the headlines and then it'll, and then it trickles down, you know, to everything else. I guess that, that would be my, my only concern. I think that there's, you know, the, the sky is the limit as far as what, where innovation can go. And, um, you know, it being, you know, a true kind of asset class that's really taken seriously. It's just, um, so I guess, yes, there is a chance. It's just, I think there's a lot of variables that, that kind of go along with that happening. And, and Jeremy, maybe you can speak to that because you, you know, I, I'm getting back in after 30 years, you've been in for, for a long time and, and there, you've probably been thinking the same thing for a long time. I mean, so what, what is kind of your take on it? Yeah, thanks, man. I mean, um, I agree with uh, with with what Greg is saying. I think that, but I think there's another factor at play. So, I think there is a lot an overdue rise in the popularity of the collectibles market because we love, and we're we're going to get to this a little bit later. Like what lies at the core foundation of the hobby. So yep. I don't want to kind of tip my hat yet, but I do think that. Um, that we are, we were due for a rise, but I think it, we 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 had a perfect storm here this year because the pandemic caused people to have more time on their hands to explore their basements, to dig out old collections, to 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 clean up their house and clean their basement. Maybe they came across these things and more time to spend surfing the internet, surfing YouTube, finding content to consume once they had exhausted all their options on Netflix and and so forth, right? less going out, less travel. So I think we really had that perfect storm where the hobby and well, you know, the sports card hobby in particular was, was due for, for a rise in popularity. And then the pandemic allowed for that to really happen. It, it really allowed for that to, 
to um, to take place, I guess, right? Like it, it, for all the reasons I, I just mentioned, there's all of a sudden more and more money. People now have, you know, instead of spending money on travel, spending money going out to the to the pubs to watch the games, not spending money on gambling on the games, less less fantasy back, you know, during the the all the shutdowns, the league closures. So again, a lot of factors came together at during the pandemic that that really made it easier for the hobby to uh, to experience the rise in popularity that it has. So do you I, think, I, yeah, do you think that pop culture um, just from kind of that eighties, nineties, early two thousands, um, spe- most specifically the eighties, nineties. Um, I mean, do you think, cause I'm just thinking back um, just kind of thinking about like my dad's generation and they have certain, you know, he's got his own kind of nostalgia stuff from the, from the fifties and the sixties, but it just, I, I don't know. And I'm, and maybe I'm wrong here, but, those the 80s and 90s were just very very important decades in pop culture whether it be music or you know uh, movies and everything that kind of went along with that and you even see it today every movie that's made is a is a remake of, of some movie that was made in the 80s i'm waiting for another gremlins movie there'll probably be another goonies movie you know so but is that all tied together with kind of our age group and and, and i'm kind of tipping the hat probably on what we're going to talk about later, but you know, that's, that's just something I was just kind of thinking about while you were saying that. Yeah, man. Great. Great. That's a great point. I mean, I, I do think so, you know, and, and if you think about what's going on now in uh, like screen entertainment, right. It's all on demand. It's all, it's all Netflix and and that sort of thing. It's streaming on demand back in the eighties and the nineties, we were watching sitcoms at, you know, 7.30 PM, 8 PM every night, you know, you knew what night the show was coming on. You knew, you knew what, what, you know, you knew which shows were coming on in which order you had your, your, you had your plan. You got the TV guide. Now you, you build your own TV guide. You know what you're going to watch. But back then, you know, the world was a much different place. We weren't on our phones all the time, our iPads, our computers. We were in front of the TVs, watching TV as a family. And I think a lot of us now, if you're in your, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s and up, we kind of look back on those days and we remember them fondly. It was a more innocent time. So the shows like the Seinfelds, the Simpsons, you know, that kind of stuff. And if you go back even further to my my shows when I was a kid, like Happy Days and Three's Company are the ones I used to love, my after school shows. I still like seeing those people on TV. I still, you know, I, I, I have a, I have an autographed picture of the Fonz. It's actually not here. It's at the office, yeah, yeah. but I have an autographed picture of the Fonz in my collection. So, you know, I don't, we're, we're kind of getting away from sports cars and that's okay. But I do think that um, the world we're in today, while a lot of people think, Hey, there's no time for, there's no time for cards and collectibles. We're, we're too busy on our phones. Well, you know, you get it. You've even kids. There's enough of the phone at some point, and you want to start to look back and, and remember what made you happy when you were younger. And a lot of times, it's those memories of of watching TV with your family, knowing what that set schedule was, or going to sports games with your with your your parents, your father, your your grandfather, whomever it was, collecting cards as a kid. And now we're all sort of getting back in. So it is. I think we are in a bit of a sweet spot right now uh, when it comes to that. So I, I think I think that sort of answered your question. Yeah. Um, BY makes a comment here. He says, let's remember that we all do this because we enjoy the hobby, the sports and the players involved. Then he goes on to say, as an investment, it's another story. And I think that is a very astute comment uh, because, yeah, I mean, we we enjoy the hobby, but there are people coming into the hobby now who are in it just for the money, just because they see an an opportunity to make some money. So, 
Um, it, it's not all, it's not everybody that's driving this recent boom is there because they're just collecting. But I do think that there's something to be said for those people that are collecting that are keeping the hobby sustainable. Makes sense to you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, a couple more comments, and I want to. I'm going to ask you uh, uh, to, to to tell us a bit about what you're doing on your channel, and then we're going to move to the next topic. Okay, but uh, yeah. let's see. Uh, Idner's card investments. Welcome to the show. It says human nature. It is. It's like you're in a wheel. Sometimes up, sometimes down. Yeah, these things. You know, everything's cyclical. Everything's cyclical. Yam says Prism started to crest in 2014. The 2012 and 2013 Prisms are actually quite limited in production, and, and that makes sense. That was the first year they came out. Jay Mai, welcome to the show, says with the current trend in flipping retail packs and boxes and pricing out young collectors, will the will it result in less people collecting cards and these and those kids seeking other hobbies? That's a that's a great question. Dustin, can you uh take a shot at that one? Well, I guess it's just the 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 grown men and women that are out buying the boxes need to break the boxes with their kids. <laughs> you know, like uh, um, I think that there is some. So I can I can speak for for my own kids. There, I, I can't say now. They're seven and five, so they're a little bit young. Um, you know, they are interested in them, especially you know my son. But he's not quite there. He's not quite there yet. But I've I've got some hope. I have some hope for him. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. And you know. I think what it, I think what's happening, um, and he he uh, JMI goes on to say. Also, please say my name is Max Headroom. <laughs> I think he wants you to do that. Uh, <laughs> but you know, back back to Jay's first uh, first post here and the, the question. Um, I think that unfortunately there's some truth to that, especially when it comes to the basketball products coming out. That you know, a, a year yeah. ago they would have come out at 125 dollars a box, and now they're 700 to 1,000 dollars a box right off the printing press. And yeah. that is definitely going to price out some kids. And um, I don't know what they're going to buy as an alternative, if if anything, or they're just going to have to, you know, find cards on the secondary market, which won't be so easy because you need PayPal and you need accounts and all that, bank accounts, credit cards, all that sort of thing for real young kids. But um, I, I do see that being a bit of an issue. And I think that uh, the card companies and specifically by card companies in this in this uh, line of discussion, I mean, Panini, because they're the it's their products that are really experiencing this. I think they have to think about what 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 the future of the hobby looks like. And if the if we're going to lose, you know, a couple of years worth of kids from 2020 to 2021 who may be in, in you know, that somewhere in that 12 to 18 year range, somewhere in there, are we going to lose you know, the kids we would have attracted during those two years, if it lasts a whole other year, are we going to lose them and not have them in 20 years buying up, you know, then turning back to what they loved as a kid? Yeah. I mean, one thought I have about that, and this is just kind of a marketing idea, maybe it's a terrible idea, but you know, if I'm Panini, why wouldn't you, you know, maybe uh, print a certain set or, or take some of your cards or whatever they are and, and maybe go to, uh, places to donate to where kids can get them. Some, and I'm not sure how they would do that effectively. Maybe to schools or uh, maybe to after-school places. Um, you know, um, I'm just trying to think of, of ways they could do that, but almost kind of like as a, a donation of, hey, here, check these out, um, and essentially kind of investing in that that next generation without necessarily selling them something, just passing them down. Because obviously, it's just it's just printing. You know, I mean, I'm, it doesn't cost a lot to create. I, I don't know if maybe they. And maybe they don't. They feel like they don't need to do that. I'm not sure, but I feel like that would be really good marketing uh, for them if they could just kind of because it is. It's a very niche kind of industry. 
but but also is a large industry too. So um, you know, I'm sure there's ways for them to do that. I and I hope someone you know with with some innovation, some some creative marketing ideas, does something like that because I think that would go a long way. I think it would be in the news if if Panini or Tops was hey, you know, they're they're doing a big giveaway. They're down at the baseball. They're down at the the rec center giving away boxes of cards to kids. I think that would get some attention. I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think they, they got to do something like that if they're really serious about that younger age group. Yeah, good point. I, I can tell you who's good at that right now is Upper Deck because Upper Deck does a program every year called National Hockey Card Day. And you just go into a, a local card shop. I think you, you you may or may not have to buy a product. And that card shop is outfitted with packs of National Hockey Card Day cards that they can give away to the to the customers. And that's a great product for young kids. I know that there's also a national baseball card day, I think that's down, that's in the States. And I don't know if Tops does that or not, but I'm pretty certain there, that that day exists. Okay. And then, but I think a great opportunity for Panini to do exactly what you're talking about would be to have a national basketball card day. And that's, it's due, right? It's due, it would work. It, yeah. it would, it would go over pretty well. The other cool thing we, you know, up in Canada where I am here, which is, you know, hockey country moat for the most part, <laughs> Um, is, you know, we have this, I don't know if you're familiar with Tim Hortons, the chain of, uh, it's like a Dunkin' Donuts and they're all over the place. There's some in the United States as well. And there's a Tim Hortons um, hockey product that comes out just about every year. And it's an entry, you know, 99 cents, three cards, a great entry level product, something that a panini would be nice to see them team up with some national, you know, restaurant chain and distribute panini basketball cards uh, throughout the throughout the country, throughout the United States. Um, to get cards into more kids' hands and really help. You know, we have some traction right now. We have some momentum. Let's yeah. not let it just pass. This need, I think for the hobby to, to get stronger than it is right now, we need to really capitalize on, on what we're seeing at, at this time. So some op- some opportunities there for sure. Uh, really appreciate your question, your uh, your comment and question, J. Mai. Thank you for joining. I'm going to run for you a few more, through a few more comments. I'm going to change up what I said before. And I'll get back to that. Yam says, uh, we had video game cartridges, not an app store. I know right over my shoulder there, those are all old Atari 2600 cartridges that I just put up on there because I think they look cool. Carlos says, it'll be for another day, but there's a fuller discussion there for the retail slash young collector question. Lots to consider and revisit. And I'll let you guys know, Carlos, often Carlos does uh, videos on his channel that are based on something, a comment he'll make on another show like this. And then he will think it through and and lay out an episode so follow his channel subscribe to his if you haven't yet because i'm sure he'll he'll do something like that and carlos we can chat on that the next time you're on after hours with me absolute says good evening all thanks for not starting till i got here sorry we're, we're starting a little late uh for you but thanks for showing up late better late than never mike good to see you dave says absolutely love that idea i imagine i manage an ice arena in upstate new york i give car- kids cards all the time would be great if companies could send us cards to give to kids I hear what you're saying, Dave. I'm gonna ch- I'm gonna put out a challenge there to everybody right now, you know. And you know, it's one thing for the companies to give away cards to give to kids, but even you know, take it one step further. You know, if you if you open up boxes of cards and you get base cards that you don't have any interest in keeping, what a great thing! What a great thing you can do. One of the great things you can do with them is package them up into into team bags of say ten cards each or five cards each. And give them away on Halloween to kids that come knocking on your door. If enough people are doing that across North America on Halloween, we could see some some great uh, hobby health, uh, long-term health um, kind of come to fruition there. Have you ever done something like that, uh, Dustin? Uh, you know, giving away cards on one of the last couple of Halloween since you've been back in the hobby? Or has that an idea that you've even considered before? 
I haven't. It's a great idea. I, I didn't consider that, um, but we've got Halloween coming up, so maybe the, maybe I can get my kids to you know help me because I do ha- I do have those base cards like like most of us I think. Um, so yeah, we'll, we should give that a shot. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm I'm challenging all the people watching, Dustin. I'll even challenge you to to mention it on your channel and anyone else who's watching that has a channel. Let's let's put that out there. Let's let's get all of us to be giving away cards on Halloween. It's really easy to do. I've done it for over 10 years now. And my house was often known as the, the, the hockey card house here in Calgary. So and I was happy, very happy about that. Um, Sean says people value what is hard to get. The reason Dustin wanted an 89 score football set was because it was once out of reach for him. Nailed it, right? He nailed it with that. It's, it's Can't exactly argue. Right? Yep. And Rob, Rob says, great Halloween idea never crossed my mind. Rob, well, I hope you uh, you accept the challenge and you do some of that. And uh, thank you for joining the show. Bill, welcome, says, I do Halloween packs too. The kids love it. I also give away, give out mini com- comics. Happy, happy Hobbyween. I love that. Happy Hobbyween. That's pretty cool, Bill. And I know I know you do that because we've, uh, we've had uh, communication elsewhere about that in the past. So good on you for, for doing that. So Dustin, there's one more topic I want to talk about, and then I wanted to give you a chance to talk about kind of what you're doing with your channel. But that topic, because it ties into what we were just talking about before, is the importance of population reports and the laws of supply and demand and why we're, I mean, it seems like it's obvious, but what's what have you been hearing lately that made that, that we're even going to talk about this tonight? Yeah, well, I, I'm certainly not the only one. I think that that's probably seen the comments online or heard it, but you know, I, I've, 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 it's been consistent enough to where it's a concern, and it's basically population reports don't matter anymore. Population reports are, are, or population reports are irrelevant. Um, you know, when I hear that Luka Doncic has you know, millions of fans in China um, alone, you know, so what's thirteen thousand? Uh, PSA 10 base prisms. I understand the thinking. I understand the logic, but I think that it's, I think that where I'm, I'm concerned a little is, it's just, we're, we're making the assumption that just because someone likes Luka Doncic, they watch basketball or they like basketball, that they are going to spend $2,000 on a base rookie card of Luka Doncic, which I think that's where there's that kind of disparity. Um, or else, honestly, if, if he had a million people in China that were looking for that card, it would be a lot more expensive than $2,000. <laughs> you know, So, I mean, you know, that that's where, you know, it's, it's that statement that, that I've heard a lot of that, um, you know, and, and just kind of being around and, and granted, I'm not a 30 year long um, hobbyist. I didn't stay in it, but I was around back then when they were just kind of, you know, printing and printing and printing. And I know I understand what, you know, what a lot of people say that they're still printing and printing and printing. And I get that they're doing it kind of in a different way. Um, but, you know, I, I'm a big I'm a big component of scarcity. And like I said earlier, it's not necessarily that everything that's scarce is valuable. But if there's a certain player that you really like or, you know, a certain team or whatever, I think that that scarcity really matters in the long run yeah if you're doing short-term flipping then maybe you know it's kind of like like what we talked about if you're playing that volatility game then maybe that's a different strategy but if we're talking about long-term collecting long-term investing you know that's that's the thought behind that what are your thoughts well i think i think we cannot ignore the the law of supply and demand it it is a law it's a law of nature to a degree right it's a law of society it's a law it's a law of the way we the way we are the way our world works the way an economy works and we're, we're all in economies so um when you say you know there's a million people in china that 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 like to watch luka Doncic. 
and there's 12,000 of his cards. That's not enough cards for all the fans, but we have to keep in mind a couple things. One thing is not all those fans care to own his card, at least not yet. The other thing is that 12,000 cards, well, what are you what are you comparing that to? You need it's all, every you know it's all relative. So how many to 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 be able to to assess whether or not that's a lot or or not a lot or where it falls, you need to understand or at least consider how many how many of the of a similar card or what's the population of a Michael Jordan rookie card for a, a very popular player or a Kobe Bryant or LeBron James or or and less popular players too. And how often are these cards changing hands? Are they true commodity cards that are out there all the time? The other, another thing to consider is, are people stockpiling these? Because oftentimes, I mean, I see, I see on Instagram stories all the time, people show stacks of their, of their, of their Luca rookies or their Giannis rookies, stacks of these things or their Kawhi rookies. It's like, well, you've got 50 of them, you know, your buddy's got 45 of them and your, your, your other buddy's got 40 of them. Like, what are you all going to do? Who are you going to sell those to eventually? You know, you need collectors to, to, to buy all these things. So, you know, it's, it's one thing to say population reports don't matter, but the, but the population reports, and let's, let's just understand, we all understand, well, we all, most, some of us, you know, if you understand what they are, we, 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 we realize that they're not perfect because there are, there's, there's reasons why they're inaccurate for, you know, um, resubbing, cross, cross grading, those kinds of things will cause yeah. those numbers to not be exact, but they're still an indication. They're, they're, they're the best, they're the best indication we have of the supply piece of the supply and demand law. So, you know, is 12,000 enough? Well, it may or may not be. That all depends on what the demand is and is the demand there. I mean, so when people say it doesn't matter, it it's at the core of what matters are, are the is the population or the supply of these cards. And I mean, you're not going to convince me otherwise. The only time it won't matter is if or when it won't matter is if those million Luca fans in China all decide they want that card. Now, all of a sudden, 12,000 isn't enough. It's not nearly enough. And, you know, we, we have a whole new phenomenon on our hands, a whole new, a whole new era of the hobby, which would be fun, but it would sure price a lot of people out as well. So I think yeah. it's kind of what we all want. We want to see increased demand. We all want our cards to go up in value, but you know, there's going to be a cost of that as well. Oh yeah. So yeah. I don't, th those are kind of my thoughts on it. I think if someone, if I hear someone say that the populations don't, populations don't matter or pop reports don't matter. I think, I think you're, you're just um, fooling yourself and you're not being uh, as thoughtful about it as, as you should be. And you don't maybe understand or at least give credit to the basic rules of economics and yeah. the, the law of supply and demand. It's not, this isn't uh, This isn't an arbitrary law, like a speed limit is 55. Why isn't it 56 or 54 or 50 yeah. or 60, right? This isn't an arbitrary law. This is a law based on on human action and, and uh, human tendency. So that all, any, anything out of that for you to, to jump in on? Yeah, no, no, I mean, I, I can't agree more. Um, and, and not only that, but, you know, we, we've also seen just kind of the slowdowns at, at BGS and PSA with, with COVID. They you know, shut their doors. How many more are still sitting there, you know, waiting to be graded? Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see what pop reports look like for a lot of those very key kind of players, those modern cards 
um, you know, at the end of the year, at the beginning of next a year from now, I'm, I'm very curious to see what they look like. And maybe, you know, for me, it, not to say I would never buy those cards, but maybe I'm just kind of holding until I see kind of where that, that, that kind of sits, you know, where is it going to stop and kind of sit there for a little bit so that we have a pretty fair idea of where that supply is. And then just also see if demand stays. Cause it's like what we're talking about right now, we're seeing just massive demand, massive demand. So it's all exciting, but you know, all this, there's curves with all this stuff, you know, and that, that's what creates selling opportunities and buying opportunities. Um, yeah. You know, so it's just playing that, playing that game. But yeah, it's something I'm, I'm glad we talked about it because I, I hear it a lot. And it's, and I think that, um, I think that over the last few weeks too, with just that Luca base prism coming down to earth a little bit, it came back down to about 12 or $1,300. I think people have seen that a little bit, which I think is good, you know, just to kind of, I'm, I'm happy almost that it did kind of, you know, dip a little bit just to show like, Hey, this is, it doesn't just go to the moon. Like, you know, there's going to be some, some ups and downs. I think that was actually a good thing. Yeah. I, I agree with that completely. It, it's good that, that we've, that we as a hobby have had a taste of that. I mean, there's been tastes of it over the, over the decades, but uh, for a lot of the the new demand and those people behind that demand to, to actually experience a bit of a downturn, isn't a bad thing. I think uh, some of the growth we've seen is it's a little bit scary. So the fact that there's been a bit of a downturn and a lot of the, you know, we see uh, we see people on various uh, platforms predicting what can happen and giving their their thoughts on cards to buy or their, their, their picks of what you should be buying. And it's almost been impossible to get it wrong up until about two weeks ago. So everyone's been right lately, which is great, great for them, you know, but now the, the now we're going to start seeing some people get it wrong and a lot of the people who are um, fans or followers of some of the the people who are putting these these predictions or these these recommendations out there are going to say oh okay so you know they don't know exactly what's going to happen all the time i might need to start doing my own research or even expanding the um some of the commentary and the the people behind the commentary like expanding their uh their watch list or you know different people they're following on Instagram, content they're watching on YouTube and and maybe rounding out their overall the overall information that they're consuming. So, it might be a good thing in the long run in terms of in terms of that. Oh, I, I agree. I think that, you know, it's like you 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 really learn when you suffer. You know, you don't learn when you're always winning, you learn when you lose. So, that's that's a good, you know, and it's happened to me, it's happened to probably all of us. So, you know, and, and you're right. I think it would, you know, for those that maybe you know, took a little bit of a bath over the last few weeks, it does kind of help you to pause and like, okay, I, let's rethink this a little bit. Let's rethink kind of what, what we're doing. So yeah, no, I think it's great. Yeah. Carlos says the rules of economics have not been violated. And I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, they can't be violated. The, like, so, so yeah, I mean, I think that's why I put it in quotes. Uh, this Facebook user says that might create a new licensing world, world, new licensing worldwide agreements. It could maybe dis distribution agreements, that kind of thing. Um, and then I want to get to this comment from uh, Idnar's Card Investments out of the Philippines. Happy to have someone from the Philippines tuning in live tonight. It says here in the Philippines, which is more on basketball, what's your take on pricing cards more uh, using eBay comps versus Beckett book value? Because here we usually base it on eBay comps. What's the use of Beckett now? Um, for me, I can just simply say to you on that, Idnar, that... Um, I think most people are using eBay comps to, to, to value their cards versus Beckett book value. Uh, that's been my my perception for the last little while. That's not just in the, in the last six months. That's in the last few years. Um, Beckett's, Beckett's book value, I think, is useful 
for certain things, but in terms of getting a, a real-time value for your card, there's nothing like being able to refer to a real-time true market and seeing what cards are actually trading at. Uh, obviously, there's issues with Beckett with with uh, eBay's information and the transparency of it or lack thereof. But I think these are things that will be fine-tuned in time and hopefully improved. Um, how about you, Dustin? Any sort of thoughts from you on the you know what what Beckett's being used for now in terms of their book values or where you get your card values from? Yeah, I mean, the only Beckett's I'm, I'm really looking at now are ones from 89, 90 that I had as a kid. I, it's, I'm, I'm a weirdo that's still looking through it and because it just brings me back to that time. But um, so, yeah, I, I'm using eBay comps. Um, unless I'm buying LeBron RPAs, then I might look at a, a golden auction sale. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not buying any LeBron RPAs. But one day, one day, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's eBay comps for me as well. Yeah, right now. Yeah. Same here. Same here for sure. Um, Carlos says, he says, love it. I'm stealing. You learn when you suffer. Now you're talking my language. Including <laughs> cards 32. Welcome to the show. Says it's refreshing to hear about the L equals loss, even a minor one in regards to their basketball cards. I'll steal that line too. You learn when you suffer. It's true, right? <laughs> it's true. You learn from your failures. That's how you grow. If you're, if you're strong enough or you have the, the, the backbone to bounce back up from your failure in any area of life, that's when you're going to really learn and, and get it better the first time, if not, or the second time, if not get it right the second time. And at least, uh, you know, adjust your approach so that you're going to be less prone to failure slash losses in the future. So great comments, everybody. Thank you so much. Um, okay, man. Well, I wanted to give you an opportunity because, you know, obviously you're on the show tonight with me tonight because I have been consuming your content on your YouTube channel pretty much since April. And you did, I, I checked it out today. Your first video dropped on YouTube on March 22nd of this year. Yeah, and you've, yeah. Wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got over 200 videos on your channel already. You've got about, you're almost, I think you're closing in on, you're close to 3000 subscribers. So you've done a great job. Your, your videos are nice and short. They're easy to, con, con, to consume. It's an easy thing to watch, you know, on your commute to work in the morning if you're not driving it's an easy thing to watch on a lunch hour unlike my show which lasts up to two hours uh, most of the time so it's harder to sit down for that but why don't you let us give give us a bit of a story a bit of information about uh, your channel and what the what your goals are for it okay um yeah. So I, I think kind of similar to your story. I mean, it was it was born kind of during the covid crisis, really. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, but, you know, it wasn't something that I had really thought about or planned out. Um, you know, I started watching sports card hobby content around the same time um, that I had got back. And I told you kind of back in July, August last year is when I really started buying a lot of cards. It was, you know, the Mahomes stuff and the Doncic stuff. And then I was looking online for, for content. There wasn't a lot at that point, um, you know, and, and as kind of the, the months went on there, I noticed more and more content out there. And then January, February timeframe, you know, I was like, you know what, there's just, there's certain things I wish that people were talking about. You know, it's like, I, I, I find some content, but there's, it was minimal. It was minimal at best. Um, you know, and so, and then I just thought like, why don't, why don't I try this out? Why don't I just see, you know, kind of what happens. And I think that if you, if you kind of take all the pieces and put it together, the other part of that was, you know, COVID hit. And then it was kind of like, 
it like, you know, I, I call it the midlife crisis. I know people say that's, you know, a negative term. I'm not trying to be negative with it. I, I actually think it can be a positive thing. It's, you know, it's the, you, you learn when you suffer thing or whatever, you know, I mean, um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a negative thing, but it, it got me really thinking like, I mean, I, I could be gone tomorrow, you know, like what, what is my legacy here? Is this it? Is this like, you know, I mean, I'm, I work my nine to five, I've got a beautiful family and that's all great, but, but what else? Um, you know, and so I was like, you know what, let me just give this a shot and maybe, you know, to see if I get any sort of a following. I, I enjoy, I started to make a couple of videos. My first couple are, are really bad. They're really awful. Um, and then I kind of started to get a little bit of a groove. I started to kind of learn more, um, made, you know, started making the thumbnails. Um, and it was a way for me to, uh, you know, kind of escape from, from the COVID crisis and kind of what was going on in the country. Um, you know, just bad news really since March. Um, and it, not even just in, in, in our country, my, my wife is um, originally from Florence, Italy. She has a lot of her family, including her dad is in, is in Italy. And Italy, as, as many of you may know, were struck hard um, and still is, frankly. Um, and so there was a bunch of just added stress, you know, not even just at home, but also just thinking about family. I'm, my mom is British, so I have my grandparents are in England. Um, you know, and so it, it just hit me, it just hit me right in the face. And it was like, you know what, you, if you want to do something, you should do it. And, and I'll tie in kind of, um, my main motivator, you know, uh, my Tony Robbins, if, if you will, was Gary V on that front. Um, I did not, I didn't get into sports cards because Gary V was in the cards. I didn't even know he collected cards until later on. I found him years ago and found him to just be kind of a motivating voice. And I noticed that, a lot of his message, a lot of, I mean, literally every single part of the answer to any question that anyone asks him, it's pretty simple. It's just make more content on social media. That, that's kind of his message. And, and it's either, you know, it's buy more ads on social media. Oh, you're doing great. You're doing great, but make more, make more. And so it, it just got me thinking, it's like, and then, and then I'll, I'll get really philosophical on you. Hopefully I don't take up too much time, but, and then I'm thinking, you know, COVID happens, retail is going to go, re, you know, retail shops are closing. Amazon takes over the world. Skynet, you know, Skynet's coming, yeah. you know, type thing. And I'm thinking like, I, I don't know if anyone is in the future, 20 years from now, is anyone going to buy anything in a store again, you know, or is it just going to all be here living online in this kind of virtual world? And so then part of like the, you know, part of that why of creating a channel is you, you have to have some sort of a personal brand. You have to have some sort of online presence, whatever that is. Now I'm not. I didn't get into it because I have a certain product or I have something I'm, I'm necessarily trying to sell. Um, but that was just something I thought down the line, and as part of kind of that legacy story of, hey, look, this is something that I could do for decades. I could be 80 years old and sitting here with Jeremy making videos, and it's you know it's not manual labor. It's something I love doing. It's it's enjoyable. Um, I love talking about all things collectibles. I focus heavily on on my channel on sports cards because I'm big into it, but. And I was telling Jeremy last night, I, I'm just as fascinated with, um, you know, me looking at a sports card as I am when someone buys a first edition Super Mario Brothers that's graded um, for $100,000. I like the why behind that. And I like the the nostalgia piece that's all tied together with that. Um, you know, and I, I know I'm kind of bouncing around here as part, as part of the legacy story. I have small kids and the only time that they've ever thought I was cool, I'm kind of joking, sort of, but not really, is when my seven-year-old, who is too cool for everybody, she's seven going on 25, 
you know, saw me on TV and was like, dad, you have a, you're a YouTuber. Like you actually have your own channel. You're on, you have like, so literally like we're going on walks around the neighborhood and she's telling me like, dad, you, you know, like you probably should wear a hat or something because people are going to recognize you. And she was dead serious. And so when I saw that, and this was just like a month in, um, and then my son, my, my youngest, he has autism. Uh, mild, mild version of autism, not an extreme case, but it's still something that we, you know, that we have to deal with and work through. Um, and, you know, he's just got a, he's got a very uh, quirky personality. He's fantastic, but his, his face lit up when he saw me on TV when I, you know, when I can, cause you can put YouTube on the big screen, you know, when he sees, you know, when he sees it, he's just like, Oh my gosh, like my dad's on TV. And he's, you know, he's five years old. So, you know, when I think about that and then I, and then you, you, you can, you can just kind of take that to another level of like, you know, great grandchildren one day saying like, well, what did, you know, what did grandpa do? You know? Oh, well you can, you can look him up here online and he, he made 10,000 videos, you know, and you can watch them. If you want to get caught up, you can start from March 22nd, 2020, you know, or whatever. Yeah. You know, you know, we're, you know, that all of that fascinates me. And so it all, if you put all that into a soup, you know, that that's kind of the, the driver and the motivator and it's, it's just fun. And it's, you know, it's something, I guess, and, and part of the part of that question that you asked is, what are my plans for the channel? And I mean, look, ideally, I would love for this to be my full time job in in a few years. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't have a certain plan in place. I uh, all my only plan is to make consistent content and see where it goes from there. That's really my only plan. Um, but you know, I think it would be awesome to just do this all the time, get my kids involved. I do all these crazy, you know. Thumb, I was telling Jeremy, I did a crazy. Uh, thumbnail uh, picture for my for a video that I was doing on sports card losses yesterday and my daughter's cracking up because I told her I'm going to be holding these cards I need you to take you know she's standing on a bed taking the picture of me you know and I'm making a crazy face and she took like seven or eight pictures of all these different faces and then we go through and we pick it together so you know I kind of have this like long-term thing of like man that'd be cool if she was like my editor one day you know or something like maybe who knows you know I mean who knows where it, where it can go? And look, if it only is ever just a, a hobby channel that I enjoy making, then great. That that's great. Um, if it's something more, then that's great too. Do you do you have a message that you're trying to send? And this might be putting you on the spot, so I apologize. But is there a message that you're sort of looking to send to your viewership uh, that might be consistent throughout your videos or anything like that? I, I notice. I'm, actually, I'll let you answer that. Then I'll follow up. Now, are you talking about, um, just from like a personal finance message or is it like a cards message or? Well, either, either because your, your channel is called the personal finance dad. And we've talked about kind of the yeah. appropriateness of that name for your channel and all that. And, um, but more or less, like if, if you were to ask me, what's your main message to the hobby? You know, I, I'd come back to, you know, collect what you like and, um, and and really the purpose of my channel is, is to bring information, bring personalities to the to the viewership, to the hobby, introduce them to people that are either content creators, passionate collectors, or industry insiders. That's kind of my 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 three sweet spots, if you will. My my main message is collect what you like and really enjoy it. You know, like it, it's uh it don't get so caught up in, in the money, which is a fun part of it too, but it's enjoy it. So I'm, I'm kind of like wondering for, for you, if you have a, a main message uh, and it might be, you know, you're two, you're two years back in. So you're maybe still working on figuring out what that is. I just thought I'd put it out there. See if you had something in mind. Sure. Yeah. I don't know if I have necessarily a set message or kind of a mission statement for, for the channel. I, 
you know, I think that with a lot of these things like cards, I have friends that do this that don't talk about it. You know, it's kind of one of those things that they do it and it's like, well, I don't know, you know, like, is this cool? Can I talk about this? I think it would be, you know, one thing I noticed is just as far as like collectibles um, content on YouTube, and, and I'll be honest, I'm not on a lot of other uh, platforms that, you know, YouTube is what I'm using a lot of. So maybe there is a lot of this stuff elsewhere, but I really want to broaden collectibles in general. So a lot of, you know, I'll do videos on like, you know, top five type sales that, that happened within graded video games, because that's a random thing that, you know, and maybe there's not many people that are interested in that, but it's something that I'm interested in. <laughs> and so I think about, and that's part of what it is. It's like, you know, I'm interested in it. Maybe other people are interested in it and let's see how many people are interested in it and see if I can, you know, build some community around that and, and build that community. So um, you know, the, the personal finance debt is, I, I picked that as kind of a very extremely general um, title, you know, for the channel, because I am thinking, I am playing the long game with this. I do plan on being an old man doing, <laughs> doing this, you know, maybe I won't, maybe it'll be, it'll look a lot different, you know, for sure. I'll be really great. Um, you know, but I, and who knows, I, I guess I wanted to keep it to where if I want to talk about sports cards, great. If I want to talk about um, investing, you know, good. If I want to talk about, um, you know, kind of these different things that are all personal finance related, then it, if I, if I'm the, the sports card dad, then I might not be able to do that down the line. And so that's where it just keeps it kind of more open-ended for me, um, you know, to where I can talk about different topics. Yeah. Oh, fair. fair. Sounds good, man. Um, you, you mentioned kind of the, the opportunity, you know, 80 years from now for your grandchildren to, to and their children even to say, hey, what was what was great granddad Dustin like when you know when he was in it when he was well, when 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 granddad was a baby sort of thing you know and um, I thought I thought about that too for myself but I think what what'll be cool because not only is like what was he doing then what was what was great granddad Dustin doing then it's like what did he look like what were his mannerisms what did he sound like how did he speak those are the things that we can read about what somebody did a hundred years ago. Yeah, but we can't hear them. We can't see them move now. You know, with video, it's so much different. And by creating these channels, we are we're we're creating that uh, that that permanent document, that permanent permanent record of how we sound, what our mannerisms are. And I think that'll be interesting in you know generations down the road for our our uh, our, our our family to to look back and see. I kind of think that's a neat. Well, especially too, when you when you think about two fifty years from now, what's the technology going to look like? I mean, I'm sure probably look back at this as like a telegram, you know, what we're doing now, you know. But I think that's part of the fun of it. That, that's part of the the cool part of it. I would love to be sitting down at eighty with all my family and and watching this and then being like, "What is this? Like, how come you're not wearing the virtual reality glasses? Whatever, you know, like, yeah, you know, I, I, it's cool. But you, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, it's all about just documenting. You know, we're just dust in the wind. It's going to sound kind of, you know, morbid yeah. to say, but it's like, what, you know, if I, if I'm gone tomorrow, what's left, you know, just people talking about some memories. Well, now every single day, there's a new memory created forever. You know, <laughs> it sounds weird, but, but yeah, that's it. Yeah. Great. So, um, okay. We have, here's a question that just came in from Alex. He says, I think Alex is, is a, is a he. If investors are coming to the hobby only to earn money, why don't we see more women buying cards? And you know that that's a that's a great question. I'll take the first stab at this one, Dustin, and see if you have anything to add after. I think you know, for me, 
there's still what there's it still comes down to what are you investing in you know investors i think are we have bias as an investor and we want to invest in something that we identify with or that we like i think we do there's so many options out there for investing and sports is for the you know the majority of sports fans are men i i believe it's what i i see more men at sporting events and i see women um so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's because that's who have their eyeballs on the sports themselves. Um, that might be a part of it. I'm not sure. Dustin, do you, do you have any thoughts on that? It's an interesting question. I've never considered it before. It's really tricky. Yeah. And, and, and I guess part of my thinking is, do we, do we know that they're definitely not buying cards? You know, I mean, if I look at, you know, part of, you know, there, there's very, you know, different variables, but I know that my YouTube audience, when I look at like the analytics, it's like 1% female. And I think the 1% is my wife and my sisters and maybe my mom, um, you know, but so I do see that there's not a lot of women maybe watching the channel, but you know, on, on Twitter, I have seen women that are buying and selling cards and, um, and that are talking about it. So I, you know, I, I I'm not really sure. Um, that, that's a really good question. And, and as far as like women, women are definitely at sporting events. I mean, if we think about it, maybe they're with their boyfriends or with their husbands or, you know, whatever that is, but um, yeah, that, that's kind of a tricky one. Um, I don't know why. And it's, and I guess if we're thinking about our generation, I'm just, and I'm trying to think back when I was trading cards with my buddies, I just don't remember their sisters doing that with us. I don't remember that. No, I, I feel like that was more of a boy thing. I could be wrong, but yeah. No. I don't think you're wrong. I think you're right. I, I think it really, and you know, uh, BY says right here, you know, volatility, sports, interest, and knowledge. I, I think really it, it comes down to the second one there, the the interest and knowledge about sports and volatility could be a part of it too. But um, I just think it comes down to interest. And, you know, if you think about, I, I've been to so many card shows over the last 20 years, you know, there are women in the hobby. There's no doubt about it. But I would say it's maybe two percent. If you were to count the, if you were to like stand at the door at the at the at the entry to the national and you know have and just tick away at man woman man woman man woman, I think you're going to see about two women for every ninety eight men going through those uh, through those doors. Just just my my guess. Yeah. So. And maybe that speaks to the casual sports watcher. You know, they're kind of more maybe more on that casual sports watcher side, which is another. You know, those are not people that are buying base rookie cards, you know, for $2,000 or whatever, you know, that kind of falls into that. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of, and, and I don't even think that's women too. I think that there's just a lot of casual sports watchers in general that might really like a player, but just if you, if you talk to them about a sports card, they wouldn't go for it. And maybe just because it's not a, more of a mainstream thing, maybe that'll change. Yeah. And you know what? It's probably a good sign that there's not a bunch of women coming in just to invest because that would, I think we could draw some parallels to, to men as well. You know, men are investing in sports cards because they like sports and they like the athletes that they're, they, they've seen them play. They, they have memories of these athletes or they're watching them play right now. So uh, women who are doing the same would be, I, I don't think there's a difference really. I, I think what's going on is we're whatever, whatever, the percentage of man versus woman was a year ago, we're going to see that same percentage moving forward, whether it's investors or collectors coming into the hobby. Interesting topic. Um, uh, who asked that question? Uh, that was Alex. Thank you for the question. Appreciate it. And thank you for joining the show. Uh, Rich Barone, the mayor of Canada out of Long Island, New York. Welcome to the show, my brother. And 
Jordan James says, do you think high population reports will tank the sports card market? McDavid, Zion, Luca, et cetera, having 10,000 plus graded. Uh, Jordan, we talked about this. You know, this is a long show. We talked about this probably about half an hour ago in some depth. So when this episode uh, is fully rendered on YouTube, which should be either, you know, later tonight, early tomorrow morning, I'd ask you to come back and kind of maybe skip through to that part, see see what we mentioned. But the short answer is... um. No, I don't think it would because you've named the players that have high population reports and um, for them to have the power to tank the sports card market, I just don't think they do. The, the, the foundation of the hobby is too strong for a few players with, and it really is a few, with these crazy pop reports to, to tank the market. I think they're going to tank those cards, but certainly not the whole market. Uh, Rich goes on to say there are a lot of women who collect Jeter in New York. That's uh, that's cool. Hey, he was a he was a stud, right? Uh, Cardboard nostalgia says Jeter collected a lo- Jeter collected a lot of women throughout his career. Funny, so funny. I, actually, I haven't met Jeter, but I will. Can I tell you a quick story about how I I have been in his presence before? Sure. All right. This is so I have I've got the Tiger Woods story and I've got the Derek Derek Jeter story. So Derek Jeter. So let's go back to 1999, I believe, is when this was. I was 17. I was working at a movie theater in Tampa, Florida. The Yankees spring training is in Tampa. It's right off of Dale Mabry Road. They've got their their spring training uh, stadium there uh, that they they play in, kind of their preseason stadium. But I was working concession at the counter. I had popcorn and and, uh, sodas and all that stuff. And there was the, the line was getting kind of rambunctious. And I was thinking to myself, like, look, I'm going as fast as I can, people. Like, you know, this is I'm only one person. You know, I've got to do all the stuff. I'm 17. So I've got a short fuse anyway. And, you know, there was all this, you know, commotion. And it was Derek Jeter was in my line. And he was with one of the one of his lady friends at the time. Um, and he came he came through. He ordered a small popcorn and a bottled water. with, And he didn't put any butter on his popcorn. So. And I said this in one of my other videos. If you want to be a pro athlete, just keep that keep the butter off the off the popcorn. Keep it small. Um, but yeah, I didn't I didn't try to talk to him or anything. I was shaky and you know. But it was Derek Jeter. Yeah, very very cool, man. And I want to. I do have it on my notes to get you to tell your your Tiger Woods story. But before you do, I want to address a couple of comments here coming in. Penguins Chronicle says to Jordan, eventually, I think it will tank the market 18,000 luca prisms 14 uh zion zion prisms conversely only 38 76 griffey tens and then he says an upper deck was printing entire sheets of griffey rookies so you know but i think that what i think you're actually seeing it backwards penguins chronicles i think that that what we're not backwards let me rephrase that i think what what we're seeing is that these monster pop populations of these certain cards are cards that really have come out in the last few years. And I said earlier in the program that I think we are, you know, we've got vintage and modern in terms of the two sort of eras of sports cards. But I think we have a new era that's recently come in and it's based on the last couple of years alone because that's where we're seeing these monster populations. So I don't think it's going to tank in the hobby. The hobby's never going to be tanked. The hobby's been around way too long for for two cards to tank it. And that's really what it is. It's maybe more than two, but not many. So, but I think that they will tank their own cards values. It might be such that rookie cards that came out in 2018, 2019 become the car become similar to what we saw in the early nineties, but cards before that cards from, you know, mid nineties 
to late 2010s are going to be, I believe, immune from what these monster populations of Zions and Lucas are going to cause. And speaking of that, I mean, these populations are only going to get higher because of the backlog that we are seeing and have been told about on uh, at Beckett and PSA. So I expect those numbers to get a lot higher, especially the Zion number, I think is going to, that will probably eclipse the Luca number, you know, within six months, once, uh, once Beckett pumps through its, uh, its backlog. Um, any comments on that, Dustin, or should we keep going? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that what's going to happen, my, my guess, it's just a guess, is I think that those cards are just going to settle in at a lower price. And I think that that'll be, it's not that they won't be wanted. I just think that they'll be bought and sold at a lower price. So maybe for the Luca, it's five or 600 bucks or $700 or whatever that is, where it just sits in there just because of the constant supply um, of them out there. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it'll be a $2,000 card. Um, but but I think that where you're, you're definitely right is I think it'll just be limited to that card. I don't think it sinks Luca. Um, prices across the board, assuming he has a great career. I, I think that, you know, the stuff that is more scarce will be fine. I just think that there's certain cards in particular that, you know, that would, that would be affected. Yeah, no, well said, well said. So Penguins Chronicles follows up here. He says, let me clarify. I don't think it will tank the hobby. I agree. Hobby is too big, but for those players, it will, if they don't win, I love what Josh at cardboard Chronicles says, focus on rarity, you know, and, um, I love what Josh at Cardboard Chronicles says. Also, he's a, he's a very smart hobbyist, and he seems to 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 see things a little bit ahead of the curve. So, um, yeah, I mean, and I, I think you're right, Penguins, for for kind of uh, addending your your original comment. Um, the hobby is too big, and uh, but yeah, focus on rarity. We talked about it earlier on the episode. We talked about population reports and supply and demand and the various factors that play in so again if you weren't if you joined late check out that earlier discussion because i think it might answer or at least give you some of, of our opinions on that whole situation a couple comments footy cards says most people don't realize but moms do most of the buying at the primary level for their kids at shops or via a website whilst at an event the father is usually the buyer and Cardboard Nostalgia says he can attest to that. My mom got me involved in the hobby, although she wasn't a collector herself. My dad didn't see any value in sports cards. Very cool. Very cool. Footy says, very much agree with here. Jeremy, thank you very much. Alex says, when I see on eBay sales of 10 to 50 PSA Lucas on the same item, looks to me as overproduced. Well, it's also the hottest card going right now. So it's, you know, the production numbers were high. I don't know what they were, but they were high, let's say higher than a few years earlier. The rate of submitting to grading companies is higher than it's ever been right now. And it's who's hot and who's playing. So we're going to see more people with those cards, try and flip them on, on eBay and maybe take some profit. So it shouldn't be surprising. We've always seen hot players have their cards listed on eBay. That's not a new thing at all. Bobby Burrell, who's joined me a couple times already, says rarity will always rule. And I think that just speaks to the, the basic law of supply and demand, which, of course, we've we've hit on pretty hard here tonight. Mike at Absolute Authentic says make sure to hit the thumbs up button. I didn't read it. I didn't read this one first. Make sure to hit the thumbs up button to like this video and subscribe to the channel. Thank you, Mike. I always appreciate that. If you haven't done that yet, please do, guys. New viewers have joined. Before we move on, I just want to let you guys know if you are late to the show, and you are a regular viewer, even if you're not, I'm, I'm debuting two new features tonight with Dustin. It just so happens that he's the guest tonight when I'm doing this. The first new feature is called Card of the Day. So I'm going to tease a card at the beginning. I'm going to try and keep it on 
kind of uh, on theme with tonight with, with the guest of the evening. And at the end of the episode, I'm going to show the card and it's going to be a card for my personal collection. What other card would I show? So I'm going to be doing that. And the second new feature is going to be called the Sports Cards Live 5. And it's going to be five, I don't want to call them rapid fire questions, but five questions that I'm going to I'm going to attempt to ask every guest that I have so that we can get some more sort of continuity between the guests and the episodes. And if I change up a questioner here or there, just bear with me um, and we'll see how that goes as time goes by. Uh, Carlos says, I think what Alex was referring to single bulk lots of PSA 10s rather than individual listings, which is also indicative of high popper parts in production. It is. Thank you for clarifying, Carlos, if that is what Alex was referring to. But I'm going to I'm going to, you know, go back. I remember in the early 90s, um, you would find you would see for sale on whether, you know, on on in, in the the classifieds of the of the hobby magazines. You'd see for sale a lot of 50 Kevin Moss rookie cards, a lot of 100 Todd Van Poppel, 1990 upper deck rookie cards. You know, it went through all the sports back then. So we've always seen lots of players' cards come for sale. And when you see that, those are the cards that oftentimes don't stand the test of time in terms of their value. So other there have been other changes that have occurred since then. So it's tough to say what'll go, what'll happen moving forward. But Great discussion. Lots of good points. Dustin, anything to jump in with on any observations here? No, I mean, that, that, that does. It, it, I kind of laughed away. I was thinking about one of my friends um, when I was a kid, Blake, his dad, and I was so jealous of him, um, but he had boxes. So my dad was uh, kind of like the other guy was talking about how the fathers didn't like the sports cards. My dad was that dad. He bought me cards, but he didn't think there was any value in it. And in part, he was right. It was the junk wax era. <laughs> Um, but I remember my buddy's dad had 89 score boxes of packs that were loaded up in his closet. And he was one of those dads, I guess that was, you know, packing up the, you know, grabbing the hundred rookies and packing them away for retirement, you know, type thing. Um, so it, it just made me think of that. And, and I agree. It is always a little scary. And part of the reason why I have moved over to more, a lot more vintage lately is because I like the fact that when I look it up on eBay, there's three listings for for any grade of PSA. You know, it's like, it's not like there's three of the PSA five. It's like, there's a PSA three, a five and an eight, you know, and, and that's when I know like, okay, you know, we're, we're dealing with, with different stuff here. Yeah, cards that come up once or twice a year, you know, very, very rare. Cards that come up once or twice a month, still rare. Cards that come up, you know, 50 copies a day, not rare. You know, and, and of course, those are just random numbers I'm pulling out of my head, but you get the idea. Uh, Cardboard Nostalgia says it's impossible to compare a sport like NBA versus NHL in terms of population and scarcity. NBA's popularity worldwide is arguably more popular of the big of the big four American sports. 18,000 cards worldwide is rare. I mean, uh, I, I don't know if I really agree with that. I think I think, first of all, it's not impossible to, to compare. Nothing is impossible to compare because everything is relative. As long as you're considering relativity amongst your comparison, it's not impossible to compare. And then again, to say 18,000 cards worldwide is rare, it, it, you're only thinking of the supply piece. You have to look at the demand for the cards, not just the popularity of the sport. So I think there's a few things missing in your argument there, Cardboard Nostalgia, but I think you might be onto something. You just need to further uh, fill out your, 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 your thesis there. Dustin, your thoughts? Yeah, I hear that all the time when talking about NBA versus NFL or NBA versus NHL. Um, my other thought is, why aren't soccer cards valued 
a lot more than they are if soccer is the most popular sport in the world. I mean, it's the most popular sport in the world. So why has it has that just kind of taken off over the last 90 days? Now, I understand the stickers have been have been valuable. So I, I know that's a separate segment and there's vintage, et cetera. But wouldn't you think that soccer cards would have been, you know, when you're talking about 2014 Prism being kind of that first Prism set? And, and, and I understand there was cards before that. But, you know, you would think that that would have caught on sooner. But you know, it hadn't. So I, I don't know how much I buy into that. It kind of goes back to the, you know, the, the Luka Doncic million fans in China thing, you know, it's like there might be fans, but are they buying? Obviously they're not, or the prices would be a million dollars a card or whatever, you know, the pricing, the demand would be through the roof. Yeah. I think, I think anytime, anytime you're going to make a claim about, um, about supply, you have to always consider demand and what drives it. Carlos says popularity is one thing, but viewers do not necessarily equal willing buyers for cards, which is a great point. Uh, Rich Barone, the mayor of Canada, says out of the 18,000, how many can you buy compared to a rare card? Yeah, you can buy many. And that's the thing, right? Of those 18,000 cards that may be out there for the player, you know, how many individual owners are there of that card? I'll tell you, it's a lot less than 18,000 because there's several guys that are sitting on a dozen or more of these things. Um, Duncachino says, good evening, gents. Hey, and good evening to you, Dunk. Welcome back to the show. Says, just to say, just say no to sticker autos. Isn't the point of an autograph the fact the player had a split second interaction holding or signing your card? A sticker auto eliminates this entirely. Well, good point. They certainly didn't hold the card, but the player still did make contact with that sticker that has been affixed to the card. I'm not arguing for sticker autos. I prefer not to have them in my collection as well. I just don't like the looks of them for the most part, but they are a, 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 necess a necessary evil, if you will, or they're a necessity to the hobby. Um, otherwise, we just wouldn't get autographs at all on a timely basis, especially for rookies. Okay, uh, and then Penguin says, just say no to autos, period. When I met Mario Lemieux, I conversed with him and told him I loved watching him play, and he's why my son plays now. It meant more than shoving a card in front of him for one second, right? Experience. Right? Life is about experiences, people. And part of the hobby, you know, owning cards, looking at cards is fun, but the experiences we get in the hobby by going to card shows, forging relationships, making friends, you know, Dustin and I, after tonight, we'll have hung out for two nights in a row. Dustin, you're my friend now, man. I don't know if you like it or not. You're, you're my friend now, buddy. So, that's right? Like that, That's just the way it works. So, you know, experiences are, are so important. I, I certainly agree with you on that one, Penguins. Great point. Thanks for making, thanks, thanks for putting it out there. Alex says, I'm in Mexico. Cool. Soccer is king, but nobody collects cards here. The hobby never existed, has never existed for any sport in Mexico. That's interesting because there is a, the hobby does exist down there, does it not? Okay, um, you you told the story about Jeter, Dustin. Let's hear your story about uh, Tiger. Uh, sorry, about um, I have it written down. Hold on, Tiger Woods. Yeah. Okay. Um, first off, actually, and I'd be curious too if the viewers have ever did this. I was just thinking back when you were talking about autos. First off, I think it's funny how I, that's one thing I've learned over the last year is how so many people are bent about sticker autos versus on-card autos. When I was, you know, when, when I was collecting as a kid, I didn't, there was no on-card auto or any of that. At least I don't remember it. Um, but one thing I used to do, and, and I'm curious if you did this ever, Jeremy, when you were younger, but in the back of the Beckett magazine, you had the, uh, the team address for the, the NFL or the NBA or NHL or whatever it was. 
And you, what I would do is I would send a letter to my favorite players at the, at those addresses. And I would ask them for their autograph and I would put a self-addressed stamp envelope in it. And I remember as a kid, the, the glory of going to the mailbox and seeing my envelope coming back to me. And now sometimes they would send back, you know, like a letter just saying, thanks, but we don't do autographs. But there was a lot of times where the card that I sent them was signed and who knows if their brother signed it or their mom signed it or whatever. But man, I remember as a kid, just thinking that was the coolest thing ever. And I still have those cards. I'll have to make a, I'll have to make a video on that. That's a, that's a video topic. But anyway, it just made me think of that with, with, um, you know, with, with autos, we were talking about autos. I'm curious if anybody else ever did that, but. Um, I can so, jump in. So I'll just I've never done that. I, I've, I've never, I've never gone with a card to get it autographed. Um, I don't want my cards autographed unless they're pack pulled autographed. I never have. But what I have done is I've gotten players to sign on an index card and I've displayed it with a, with, a, with their card. I think that's kind of cool. I've also had players sign the outside or, or sign the PSA slab that their rookie card has been in. So I've, I've, tried, I've done a couple of those things, but uh, yeah. So, um tiger, tiger woods. woods man tell us your tiger woods story your personal right, so, tiger woods story yeah another best friend of mine tiger woods not really <laughs> um okay so this is 2008 it was either the fall of 2008 or it was the spring of 2009 i believe it was the fall of 2008 i lived in orlando and metro west is a part of orlando and there was a small gym there called cardio club and it was in just kind of a, a plaza. Now, he actually also went to Gold's Gym. So he didn't shy away from going out in public in Orlando. You, you could see him at restaurants occasionally. He would go out with his wife at the time. Um, but I was just at Cardio Club. I used to go. My office, uh, the company I was working for, was literally just right down the street from them. Um, and I went there. I, I would go there for lunch um, and work out. And then I would go back to the office, eat lunch. And so I was there. And literally at lunch, there's five people in the whole place. And the way that it was set up is the whole kind of one big wall is just a mirror and they have all their dumbbells kind of lined up there and you can pick up your dumbbells and do your thing. And I was over there and I was just kind of you know doing my, doing my dumbbell stuff. And I caught somebody out of the corner of my eye and I was kind of like, it, it kind of freaked me out a little bit because I didn't think anybody was, was next to me. And I, I looked over and it was Tiger Woods sitting there on the bench and he was, doing some sort of, he was rehabbing. I believe it was, you know, it was a lower body injury that he had. It wasn't, it was like a hamstring maybe, or a knee, or he was rehabbing something at that point. And that was really kind of the start of his injury troubles. Actually, it was the start of all of his troubles <laughs> for being fair. Um, and he was doing a little bit of like rehab, lightweight stuff. And I, I remember just like kind of freaking out a little bit and like, Oh, should I, should I say something? And I was thinking to myself, like, I'm never going to see this guy again. I should at least go up and just say like, Hey man, I'm a big fan, not waste his time, like not sit there and ramble, but just go up and have a, just a quick conversation, do a fanboy thing. And, um, so I did, I went up to him and I was like, I was like, Hey man, I uh, just wanted to let you know I'm a, I'm a big fan. And he said, he said, thanks bro. And he gave me a, a fist bump. And he was just sitting there texting. And I, and I remember thinking back, like, I wonder if he was, you know, cause he, it came out later, of course, that he had a lot of mistresses and things, you know, that he was, he was doing. And I was wondering, like, you know, I wonder who he was texting. That was literally maybe three or four months before everything fell apart for him. Um, but in, in, in public, he was, he was a nice guy to deal with. I mean, now, granted, I didn't say like, hey, can we get a picture together? Now, this was 2008. So there wasn't a lot of the selfie. That was just kind of the start of selfies and all that. Um, you know, so I didn't I didn't really press it. But, you know, I 
it, it was kind of an, it was it was just weird how it just happened. Uh, it was a cool just moment. So I have fist bumped Tiger Woods in my life with this hand. You know, yeah. I was like, Still- my friends, I'm never, and I haven't washed this hand since. I was just gonna say. I was just gonna say he still hasn't washed it. Yeah, there's mildew and green. There's green hair all over it, but you know, never washing it again. (laughs) Hey, man, that's still you know, it's 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 kind of neat, right? Like, it's just we collect these these we collect their cards. We watch them on TV, and when you have somebody of Tiger Woods stature, it's a neat story to be able to tell that I I got a fist bump from him at the gym. I mean, it's just kind of neat. So very cool. Uh, Richie Barone, Midnight New York. You'll watch tomorrow later, my brother. Good night to you. Have a great night. Stay safe, my man. Uh, Tim says the addresses. Dustin just brought me back to 1991. I'm a year yeah. younger than him. Getting mail and autographs back from players was unreal. Great memories. Again, that's that's the hobby. That's and I'm gonna I'm gonna let's get into the the last topic we're gonna talk about tonight before the 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 sports cards live five, which is what what lies at the core and i this is sort of a loaded question because everybody knows this but what lies at the core of the foundation of our hobby what is the reason why a luca and a zion card cannot tank the whole hobby what's that what's that word what's that thing what's that what is it what is it dustin that that is that drives the hobby i mean you know, for, for me, well, I, I think nostalgia drives the hobby, if that's the word you're looking for. That's so the word. That's the word. For me, my my quick personal story, and I'll I'll make it short, but my my parents got divorced when I was eleven. So and I started collecting when I was probably seven to thirteen were really kind of my prime years of collecting cards. And and for me, that was really a fun thing that I did with them when they were together. It was also a way for me to kind of escape a little bit when things were not so good. Um, you know, and so it went but that was always a positive point in my childhood. I look back at, you know, that piece of my childhood as the great, you know, the greatest, you know, and not that I did, I had horrible teen years. I didn't, but, but those were very innocent times. We've talked about that. That's pre cell phones. That's pre, you know, internet and everything else. Um, You know, and so those little pieces of cardboard were kind of the, um, you know, the thing that I look forward to along with playing sports and those things, but those are, you know, I have great friends um, you know, from those times that I used to trade cards with. So it's kind of like what Tim is talking about here, you know, when you get that, you know, I just thought about it as we were talking and I hadn't, that's not something that I thought about before we actually even got on the air. It was just, we were talking and I thought about that as a kid and I'm glad that, you know, I brought it up and and someone else can relate to that, but that's, that's what drives this thing. You know, that's what it is. You know, it's really the, it's those great memories and, you know, do I have, you know, I don't have necessarily those Luka Doncic memories yet, but maybe my son will, you know, and maybe it'll be somebody that, that will be somebody for, you know, for some other person, you know? So, and, and that's really the, the thing that drives it for me. And I think that, you know, just, just collectibles in general, and that's what fascinates me about all collectibles. Like I said, you know, it's the, the Atari games and the more, you know, or the, or whatever it is, it's because it takes you back to that time when you were eight years old and everything was right in the world, you know, and that it's fun. It takes us back to when we were younger and when we, we 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 couldn't get things that we wanted for various reasons. It was the same. I have a similar story to you, Dustin, in that I remember getting one or two packs of cards every week when kids I went to school with were getting boxes of cards every week. They had more means than I did, let's say. And I always wanted more, more. And I, I, it's still a part of what drives me, I believe, is that is that kid in me who wanted the cards almost it was almost a game of, of keep up or catch up or you know 
um, keeping up with the Joneses sort of thing, you know, as a, as a kid. And somehow it never really left me. And I'm willing to admit that. I'm willing to put that out there because I think it's just my truth. And, you know, it's, um, it, it's nostalgia now. At this point, it's like, you know, I can get the cards if I want them, you know, within a certain limit, of course. And, but, but, you know, the, the, the seed of the collector, the, the, let me rephrase the collector gene, I believe is a, is a real thing. And Mm. I think that it's when you tie it with nostalgia, it creates the power, uh, a very powerful, and by powerful, I mean, maybe passionate, it creates a very passionate collector. And as long as we have passionate collectors, which I think we always will, because we'll always have nostalgia and nostalgia is, 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 I think the fuel of the hobby, not the fuel of the hobby. It's the foundation of the hobby. And um, so, I mean, you know, we talk, there's been comments tonight, like tank the hobby. You can't tank the hobby. It's nothing will tank the hobby. I don't think, but you, you can have cycles in the hobby. And you just made the point, Dustin, about maybe your kids will, 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 nostalgically go after the the 2018 Luka Doncic prism base card in 30 years from now. Well, I guarantee you some kids that are your kids age today will do that in 30 years from now. And the reason I can guarantee that is because we've seen it happen with the Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, right? That card was, was, was mass produced, you know, for its time. It was very valuable when it came out and then people sort of stopped caring about it because it wasn't because it was readily available and maybe overproduced for the demand at the time. And then, you know, 10, 20, 30 years go by, and now people are saying, hey, wait a second, the the relative print run of that or population is maybe not so crazy when you compare it to the cards of today. So I'm going to go back and grab one of those because, first of all, it's nostalgic for me, you know, and for that, the Griffey card may not be the best example because I feel it's a very important card for the hobby because it's the number one, it's the card number one in Upper Deck's first set ever an upper deck you know was was revolutionary for its time so but in any event um as long as we have nostalgia as long as we have sports and as long as we have fans we're never the you can't tank the hobby it's just not going to happen so i believe that nostalgia is the the key driver of the hobby bobby makes a great point right here he says there is no nostalgia in the present so what drives the new card collecting you know and it's i think it's i think what is driving it now partially is a lot of speculation in terms of investment and that's what's doing a lot of it now plus people still want to identify there is maybe nostalgia isn't the word for this bobby and i'd love to brainstorm with you on what the word might be but there is still a desire to connect to the game and we one one of the only ways we can do that truly is by owning cards it's a very easy way to own a piece of a player or, you know, we call it a piece, but almost like a share of that player. And I think that, uh, that that may be what, what drives the modern card collecting. And we are also aware that nostalgia exists. And in five, 10, 15, 20 years, the nostalgia bug will hit cards of today and yesterday. So maybe we're trying to load up on some of those. If you're looking to play that, uh, that speculation game or that, you know, investment game. What do you think of all that, Dustin? Yeah, I agree. Um, I was just thinking about a couple of factors that might be different than previous cycles, I guess, is the rise in fantasy sports. You know, I think that that's a real thing. I know that sports betting has always existed, but the the, the, the ease of which you can now do that online 
Um, and then the ease of, of how you can now buy cards in a second on eBay or ComC or whatever. It all I, I do think that because those industries are so large, multi-billion dollar industries, that I, I think it does, especially when sports stopped. You made a good point about COVID kind of triggering. You know, I think there's a few factors there. I think stimulus money mattered, you know, in that. I think it definitely, I think a piece of stimulus money, I'm assuming it's some percentage, whatever that is, went to cards. Um, but then, you know, this, I, I do think there is something about, you know, there's no sports and the sports bettors need something to do. And maybe they, they grab, grab a hold of this. Same with like fantasy sports people, you know, and then I think maybe they come over and they think, wow, this is actually pretty cool. And they end up staying and they don't end up going back to sports betting, you know. So I, I think that there are a few factors, maybe with this cycle that are different than than previous ones which is exciting, you know, and maybe that's what's part of what's driving kind of that, you know, the, the modern boom part of it, part of it, but you're right. I mean, there, a lot of it I think is just speculation and it's fun to kind of gamble on these new players and let's throw some, let's throw some money at these players and see what happens. So, you know, I, I, I think that's, that's, you know, part of it. Okay, man. I'm with you on all that. So well said and thank you. All right, guys. We've covered pretty much all the topics that are that we wanted to, the general topics for discussion. Let's move on to the first ever episode version uh, segment of Sports Cars Live 5. All right. I just made that up right there. So the first, so I'm going to hit you with five questions. This isn't like a speed round, Dustin, but it is five questions that I'm going to try and ask all my guests. If you are watching the show right now and you are a guest who I've lined up to come on in the future, please pay attention because I will ask you these questions as well when it's your turn to join me on Sports Cards Live. This is episode number 46. If you're new to the show, there are 45 other episodes in the archive on the YouTube channel. If you haven't yet subscribed, I'd greatly appreciate it if you would. Almost at 1,100 subscribers. Not much compared to Dustin's channel. Dustin's almost at 3,000. Nah. We, we we're doing different things here, but in any event. No, your channel is awesome, Jeremy. Don't 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 be you know you're don't be uh don't show all that humility. You have a great channel. Uh, I'm enjoying the channel. Thank you for saying that. I'm enjoying the, I'm enjoying the channel. I I I do understand though when you're putting out two hour videos versus ten minute videos, it's a lot to ask for from people. So the 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 subscribership growth is slower, but I'm okay with that. I really feel that the subscribers I have are quality subscribers and they're really enjoying the content. So in any event, if you haven't yet subscribed, please do. I greatly appreciate it. Hit that thumbs up button and leave comments, all that stuff. Okay, let's go. Five questions. First question, what is the favorite card in your personal collection? And please show it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, this was actually really hard. for So I, I kind of, I don't really have a favorite per se. And I'll be honest, my cards are kind of like where my wife was trying to go to sleep in our, you know, in our room. So I was going through some of those and then I couldn't really choose. And she's like, I'm trying to go to sleep. So, all right. So I just picked a couple. Um, I actually picked up two of these uh, fairly recently, but let me see if I can get this right. Uh, Roger Staubach, this is a PSA six. Um, and neither of these, these are not high dollar cards necessarily, but I'm going back to kind of my roots with football cards. I love basketball cards, um, but football cards just kind of do something to me internally. You know, it's like you get that, you know, that great feeling, probably what hockey cards do for you, Jeremy, yeah. um, you know, Staubach, you know, is, he's arguably the best Cowboys QB of all time, along with Troy Aikman. Um, you know, and so I think it's an important card. I would like to get higher grades of the Staubach rookie. I would like to have multiples. I, I have two of the six, um, the PSA six, but that's, that's one that I, I like the look of it. And honestly, just 72 tops football in general. There's a few. I've got Terry Bradshaw second years because his rookie is a, is 71. 
Um, that second year Bradshaw is a really nice card. And I, I picked up a couple PSA sevens of that card. So these are not high dollar cards, but I just want to hold it. You know, I want it in my hands and, and we'll work up from there, you know? Yeah. And then the other one, I just, first off, I like the gigantic case, but it's a pistol Pete. It's a pistol Pete rookie from 1970 top. Sorry for the lighting guys, but this is a PSA six. And that card is, you know, that's not necessarily a card that was something when, when I was, uh, you know, when I was a kid, it was like, Ooh, pistol Pete Maravich. But when I was a kid playing basketball, all the, a lot of the guys, like on the, a lot of the kids called me pistol Pete. Cause I, I could shoot the ball. I couldn't do much else, but I could shoot the ball really well. And so they call me pistol Pete, you know, as I played. And so he's just one of those players that I didn't grow up watching him play, but he's legendary in my eyes. So when I, I got this card about a year and a half ago. This was one of this. So I got like the Joe Montana rookie. I got the 89 score set. And then, you know, a few months in, I got this one, you know, I just kind of picked and choose, you know, a few cards. I wasn't buying a lot of cards. It was being very choosy um, with what I was buying. Um, but just, you know, and, and one that's escaped me that, that, and I know we're going to get to this, but um, well, anyway, no, I'm not going to talk about that one. Go ahead. You're, you're taking questions. That's that's yeah. question. That's question number two. Yeah, I'm not going there. Go ahead. First of all, on, the, on those cards, I just want to say I, what I like about the cards you just showed is that it's consistent with what you said at the beginning of the episode with respect to the direction that you're going in the hobby from more flipping modern cards into really going for the vintage stuff that that you love. So you're you're now backing it up with actual cards. So. Well done there, Matt. Okay, number two. What is the 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 biggest kind of want that you have? I, and just so the viewers know, when I say the biggest, I mean that you you're actually going to go purchase that you're going not not something that is a, a fifty two tops Mickey Mantle or a Honus Wagner or something like that. What's the next big card that you are going to acquire? Um, okay, so I'm going to answer that two different ways. Um, the next big card that that I'm looking to acquire, I'm actually well, there, there's a few, but um, I, I, I really want a, a Lou Alcindor rookie card now, not in a high grade necessarily, maybe a three or a four. Um, but, but the, the kind of like number one on the wish list card that I'm chasing is an 86 Fleer Jordan rookie and a PSA nine. I want a high grade of it. Um, you know, the 10 is, is out of, it's out of reach. And, you know, a year and a half ago, a nine would have been four or five grand maybe. You know, I, I haven't looked at them, you know, in the last few weeks, but they're, they're more than that now. They're more, <laughs> triple that now. Yeah. 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 So, but, but that's a card that's within striking range. You know, it's one of those where it's like, yeah, I mean, it might be 15 or 20 grand, but it's, it's, you know, a hundred grand is outside of my range, you know, at this point, um, you know, but that, that Jordan PSA nine is, is one that, that that's the top of the wish list. That's kind of my grail, that, okay. that's my grail card. That's a great answer to the question. Cause that's exactly something that you really, you really like lust for. Yeah. But it's, it is within your reach at some point. Okay. Question number three, where is your favorite place to buy cards? Yeah. Um, so I buy the majority of my cards on eBay. Um, I think like a lot of folks I did find, I've, this is kind of awesome that I, I didn't even re I don't know how I missed this, but there is a local card shop. There's not many card shops where I am, not many at all. Um, and I found one that is fairly close to me. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go check it out. But um, I also, I guess my, my main kind of point with that is I want to buy more cards live because that's in person, because that's how I got started as a kid, you know, and I want to do that again. I want to negotiate 
in person with somebody, you know, now that I'm a man, I'm like, Hey, I can do, I can negotiate my stuff now. <laughs> you know, like I was getting taken advantage of for so many years and I need some redemption now, but, but seriously, I, I also want to just build some, I want to build rapport with a local card shop as well as I'm dying to go to the national next year. I've never been to a national. I used to go to, I lived in Panama city, Florida when I was a kid. And there was, I swear in like the Bay mall, there was a card show every three weeks. And I, I used to love that when it was just a surprise. You walk into the mall and it's like, oh yeah, they've got all the stands up and you didn't know about it. And there's yeah. like athletes there, you know? So I want to do more that there are some shows that are coming in October. Uh, COVID is starting to kind of loosen up a little bit. So um, there's going to be some card shows coming up in October, November. So I want to, I want to do more live buying and, and try to you know meet some more people. I've met a ton of hobby people. I have more hobby friends now in the last six months than I have like longtime friends in general. Yeah. You know, so and I want to build on that. Yeah, get used to that, man. That, that, that's the way the hobby is, right? We we're like minded. We're gonna we're gonna hit it off. We're gonna get along, and that's why I said before, like we're, we're friends now. Like whether you like it or not, it's just the way it's just the way it is. And and we'll see each other at the at the at the next national. And we'll have a meal together or something, and you know, with a bunch of people, and it'll be fun for sure. Okay, next question: If you could change one thing in the hobby, what would it be? Uh. I mean, this is kind of a double-edged sword. I mean, and it's kind of a generic answer. I didn't, I was thinking about this one for a while and I didn't really have a good answer for it. And I guess it would just be, you know, availability to product, you know, kind of where we talk about hobby boxes are now a thousand dollars upon release. But the other, the other side of that is, you know, look, that's the supply demand game that we're playing. So I also don't want it to necessarily be like it was in 89 when there was prism, you know, if, if there was prism in every grocery store, then it wouldn't be, it wouldn't hold any value. Yeah. So, you know, that, that that's kind of my generic answer that I think a lot of people probably have. Um, I would, it would be amazing if we got back to a point where there was a lot of live card shows and maybe I'm just not in a great area for that, but that's something that, man, I would love to do that with, with my kids. So just as far as changing something in the hobby, if there was, you know, just more card shows for me locally here, and maybe that's me changing kind of what I'm doing. I probably need to kind of, you know, get out there and find that stuff. Yeah. Well, you see the comment I just threw up by Chris West is people with monthly card shows don't know how good they have it. Right. If you yeah. can go to a card show once a month, you're pretty fortunate in today's world. Well, yeah. even, even in yesterday's world, really, it's nice to have a local card show that you can go to regularly. Final question is what is your biggest hobby purchase regret? Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I could make like the funny answer and it'd just be like not buying enough Patrick Mahomes and Luka Doncic a year ago. I could have been, you know, retired and on a boat somewhere. That's you know? a non that's a non-purchase though. I want right. the purchase. Right. I want the purchase. Well, to be fair, I did purchase those. So it's not like, you know, you know, so that's not really an answer. Um, you know, I did post a, just kind of a crazy video. Um, yeah, I did like the funny thumbnail a couple of days ago about my losses. Um, and you know, it's hard for me to say that I regret buying Project 2020 because I like the look of Project 2020 cards. They are collectible to me. And I bought, I really only bought, I, I bought a handful of cards that, you know, for flip, but I probably bought 10 or, two, you know, there's probably about 10 more that I was, I thought about it and I was like, look, I'm, I need to be okay if, if I have these forever, you know, type thing. Maybe I can give them to, um, you know, my son or something, or my daughter is, is super creative. She's an artist. Maybe, you know, she would want them, um, you know, so 
and then I, I also invested in rookie uh, rookie QBs last year in the NFL that, that have not panned out yet, but I have not sold them. So it's not a loss, but you know, it's like Will Greer and Mason Rudolph and you know, all these guys that are, you know, and that was a lesson to be learned as well. Just kind of a hobby lesson of um, you know, when, when you zag too hard, you know, it's speculating on guys that, you know, you're really counting on them to start and they, they're, they might be third string, but it, their, their card could go from $2 to 20. And it's like, there's probably safer ways to go about it or just, you know, different ways to go about it. But that was part of the learning curve. So it's regrettable, but again, you know, you have to suffer to learn, you have to lose to learn, you know, and I, and I lost some. So, and that, th- those are a couple of examples. I, I haven't made any, I haven't made any monster mistakes, you know, regrettable, uh, huge regrettable mistakes. Um, but I think going back to what you were talking about, it, you know, I do have a, if I was going to spend a thousand dollars on a card, uh, it would, it would have to be, you know, a long-term hold. I've, I've never spent a thousand dollars on a card. The most I've spent on a card and I put it in a video, actually, I put it on a credit card without my wife knowing was I bought two Luka Doncic optic rookies, just base rookies for $600 PSA 10s. Um, and they went up to, you know, a thousand now they're back to 600 again. But that, but for me, yes, I'm speculating on Luca. He's a newer player, but that those are long-term holds for me. So it was kind of more of like, I don't mind playing that volatility game, you know, with it. Um, you, you know, so there's, you know, if I, if, if I was going to spend big money on a card, it wouldn't be on a Zion RPA. It just wouldn't, you know, it would be on some, it would be on something different, something more of like what I just showed you. Yeah. Yeah. No. Awesome, man. Well, thanks. Thanks for playing the game with me. I appreciate all, all, all the answers to the, to the five questions. And I may, even from this, I may, uh, I may change one of the questions around for the next one or something. Even like if you had a thousand dollars to spend on a card, what would you spend it on? Right. That kind of thing. So I'll be working on that, everybody trying to really perfect the, the sports cards live five questions that are going to come at the end of every episode, which leads us into the other new feature of the show, which is the card of the day. So Dustin, I haven't even told you what this card is I'm but excited. it's sort of on sort of on par it's a card i'm proud of i i didn't actually take the time earlier to look back and see when i acquired this card but i believe i acquired this card probably about five years ago it's a vintage card it's a football card because i know dustin likes football cards so here it yeah. comes i'm gonna try and just sort of slowly unitis reveal it Wow. It's the John Unitas 1957 Tops rookie card. It's in a PSA 7 uh, condition uh, as per PSA's uh, graders. And I love I love this card. I'm, I'm noticing just looking, the, you know, this is a very bright lime green in real, you know, in hand. But on the, ca- on the screen here, I can see it's kind of looks like a, a dull yellow almost but it's actually a very bright green and this is a very bright orange. And then the, the bright, his name is within a a very bright green box as well. So the card looks a lot better in hand than it does on camera right now. But I love that. It's almost like two cards in one. You've got the, you've got the act, the, the, the portrait shot here. And then you've got the action shot here where he's like just about to throw the ball, which is just, I think was really epic for it's in its day. You know, so a beautiful card, a very important card among um, football Hall of Famers. Yes. So this is my card of the day, everybody. It's the first time I've shown a card of the day, and I'm happy that it's my John. It's also the oldest football card I have in my collection. I have some others that are, you know, of this sort of player caliber and Hall of Fame caliber. But this is the, the oldest football card in my collection and proud to own it. 
And uh, yeah, so there we go. That's awesome. Love it. Part of the day. Vintage football in honor of tonight's guest, Dustin. Guys, thanks everyone for tuning in tonight. As you've noticed along the bottom on the ticker here, we've had Dustin's um, contact information. Follow him on Twitter. Follow him on Instagram. And his YouTube channel is called The Personal Finance Dad. If you aren't already following him or subscribing to his channel, make sure you do. It's one of my daily go-tos. I Every time I see he's got a new video out, and he puts out at least one video every day. They're nice and short. They're easy to consume. Check them out. Enjoy them. Give them some support. And um, and I want to thank you, Dustin, for joining tonight. This has been a lot of fun, man. I like I you know as I tell as I say to all the all my guests, the two hours flies by. We're at two hours, almost yeah. two hours and eight minutes gone on right now here. So I want to thank you for coming. Thank you for sharing the episode with your followers on the various uh, platforms. And um, anyone, if you're new to the show, thanks again for watching. Please subscribe to Sports Cards Live YouTube channel. I go live Wednesdays and Saturdays at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Pacific, and all the time zones in between. And we bring on, you know, passionate collectors, other content creators, and um, and some very, uh, you know, influential hobby uh, industry insiders. So check out the archives. Please subscribe and look forward to seeing you all again. Dustin, thanks so much, man. Give you a chance to say goodbye to the viewers and we're going to call it a night. Maybe we're not. Maybe we're going to go to a few comments first, actually, before we sign out. Let's do it. Let's do that quick. Let's do that quick. Chris wants to say one of these days, Todd Van Poppels will will pan out. One of these days, Chris, one of these days. It helps if you actually had a career, though, doesn't it? (laughs) Overproduction and no career is, is, is hobby disaster. Overproduction and a career, you got a chance, right? <laughs> Tim says if you're a 90s kid, you probably spent a lot. You probably yes, spent Paul. a lot and lost a lot on pogs. No Love doubt. It. No doubt. Beware the hype. Beware the hype. Alf is back in pog form. Hilarious. They're actually trying to bring pogs back. Good for them. <laughs> Carlos says the team color coding was great on 57 Tops football. Yeah, they did a beautiful job. Such a smart issue. Yeah, I agree with that. Bobby Yam says 57 United is one of my favorites. Incredible design. I love the design. Legion, as always, thank you for joining. Uh, Facebook user, great show as usual. Great discussion and appreciate the insights as always. Thank you for joining. Thank you to Dustin. Good show, guys. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Carlos, for that. Guys, check out Carlos's channel. All right, everybody. That's it. Dustin, final thoughts? Hey, thanks very much, Jeremy. This is easily the best sports card interview channel that there that exists. Um, so I'm I feel really fortunate to be able to to get on. So thank you very much for having me. Hey, man, you're welcome. It, it, it's an honor. I'm happy to add you to my library of episodes. I think this is a great one. It's going to go down as a, as a great episode. I had a great time. So good night. Uh, you wait right there, though, Dustin, everyone else. Thank you for watching. We'll see you again on Saturday. My guest is Eric Norton from Beckett Live Presents and a long-term employee of Beckett uh, Media. And then afterwards, Amit Acharya, also known as 99 Goals, will be joining me on After Hours. And next Wednesday, Adam, the Real 27 guy and the editor of the new hobby magazine, Basketball Card Fanatic, will be joining. I also want to mention quickly, we've had we've had viewers tonight in Mexico, the Philippines, Canada, the US, and I think Australia as well. That's awesome. This is truly an interna- international show, an international platform. Thank you everyone for watching. We'll see you all again on Wednesday. Good night. All right. Thanks, guys. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.